What is up, guys? Welcome to Chatter's Faction. Uh, this is going to be a bonus episode this week. This was part of uh, last week's episode, but ran super long, and I thought it was this would be a good opportunity to chop this part out and make it its own episode for everyone that cared about this specifically. Uh, this is the Metal Gear Solid 30th anniversary uh, recap or whatever episode. Um, we love the series, so we thought we would talk about it. And it felt as we got towards the end of it that a lot of people would have dropped off anyway at some point. So we chopped it up specific specifically just doing this one separate if you care give it a listen if not you know we'll have more content next week uh enjoy the episode as much as we love talking about it and yeah i don't know i have no idea how to begin these things maybe someone should coach me the metal gear solid 30th anniversary is this year and I feel like the actual day and date was this week. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was a couple days ago. <clears throat> yeah. Is it, it is it the 30th anniversary of Metal Gear, not Metal Gear Solid, is that correct? correct. The original Metal Gear, Metal yeah, Gear, as a franchise. Yeah. 87, now it's 2017. Well, so a surface nerd over here. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I have Google open in front of me. Um, it's Google's this website you can go to that like you can point, you can get lots of information. You're like you're like a, like a freak about the internet though. So that's why you know that. <laughs> that's amazing. It's actually www.google.com, but I just call it Google because I'm so used to it. HTTP slash www. Keith, there's a colon in there. Two slashes. Okay, um... <laughs> your faux hacker shit is getting really old, dude. <laughs> Plus, Google's buying HTTPS, dog. It's Google. It's the 30th anniversary of There's Metal Gear, and we love Metal Gear so much, and especially JW. That's why I had him on. Uh, but, yeah, I have to be like, this is a big deal. Um, I wonder I wonder if Konami's going to do anything. I doubt it, because I feel like this franchise is so much just uh, Hideo Kojima's thing, yeah. and I, I don't think they should... I think they're foolish to let anybody touch this franchise other than him, even though I think they will, because they still want to make money. They were, um, yeah. They were foolish to get rid of him as an asset to their company, and uh, yeah, they'll continue to do foolish shit, I'm sure. Honestly, yeah. they just shouldn't have hired him in the first place. Then they would have right. avoided all this controversy. You're 100% correct. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead of talking about how big a piece of shit Konami is, I just want to talk about yeah. our love of this franchise, talk about all the positives, uh, positive things we like about Metal Gear. So I, what I want to start with with you guys is... Uh, well, can we? What do, was your? Go ahead. We do my diligence real fast and just say, just in case there's anybody out there who's interested, there's gonna be a ton of Metal Gear spoilers here. Uh, yeah. Of them. yeah, obvious. Just in case that's not obvious, and that's gonna be the rest of the show. I feel like if we, because if we end up talking about individual games and stuff, there's no reason we wouldn't talk about plots and endings and all that shit. Exactly. And they Which all, I am, yeah, twists and turns heavy thing. It's like watching a show season by season and being. <gasps> at the end of every season. That's like how every Metal Gear is, and they all feed off of each other. Mm-hmm. Right. So I know probably no one's listening that is on the fence about playing Metal Gear and would have been surprised by spoilers, but it's just I just got to do my job. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so, okay. Anyway, where I want to start is I want to ask both of you, uh, what was your first exposure to the game or games? Uh, and when was that first kind of moment where you knew it was something special? And that, kind of like in the same way, this first time I played Mario, I was just like, this is going to be a part of my life forever. 
Um, I think JW and I might have the same first exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, no, we would have the same moment of like, this is going to be amazing. I think. Yeah. But, but no, go for it. You, you start and I'll. Um, well, so I, my exposure is that you got a hold of a demo disc on the mm-hmm. PlayStation one for Metal Gear Solid one. That would have um, been around 1998. Yeah. That's what, I mean, obviously everybody knows when that demo disc came out. Um, <laughs> Did you get it in a magazine? Something? I do not know. I still have it, uh, believe it or not. But it doesn't have any sort of like, there's no magazine logos on it. Or to be clear, you have it. You have a sealed version. You have it in a different language because in the different language, they have a slightly different, uh, like there's a different part in the, the one scene. And no. that way you can 100% all of it. I don't even know what you're doing here. No, of course, none of that's true. But I do, I still have it. It was a Japanese demo to begin with, was of it? course, yeah, and uh, but with subtitles, U.S. subtitles, because before they had okay. done, I guess, the voice actor hadn't finished it. But uh, is that I also have a demo that's similar for the PC version of Metal Gear Solid One, and then of course I have demo discs for probably every other game in the series. I still have all of those, so I don't even know what kind of joke you were trying to make. Gotcha. <laughs> um. So anyway, uh. Yeah, you had that demo disc, and I just remember you and I playing through the entirety of the demo over. One thing that was so fucking cool about it, I think the thing that hooked me, aside from the fact that it was a fun game I was playing with my older brother, is that it was one of the first types of games where you could go about what you wanted to do in different ways. And so I remember trying to get through uh, the you know those first two scenes in Shadow Moses uh so many different ways like okay we've beaten it this way and now we can go like swim to the right um instead of going up the obvious way to the front you can swim over to the right and get around and then take out this guard this way and this guy will fall into the water if you hit him in this fashion like just slowly figuring out all the different methods finding the socom and then trying to find other weapons like do you use the chaff grenades do you do this like it was such a short demo but i feel like you and i dumped hours into that demo um and that was that was that feeling of like holy shit this is special because this is uh you know i've never been able to spend so much time in just in such a small area doing things all these different ways yeah it was a it's really a good it's like a master class in how to make a demo of like it's a vertical slice almost entirely like other than there's no boss fight in the demo which is a big part of like at least yeah but in terms of pure gameplay and like proof of concept and like this is what this game is going to be like and feel like, but without like uh, without getting stale, it's not like you're just going to do this over and over and over again in a negative way. It's here is what this is going to feel like if you like this. There's so much more of it, and then a whole bunch of variety added in. Uh, but it's just these first two. It's a room at the bottom of an elevator. You go up an elevator, and then you're outside in another sort of enclosed space. And then when you crawl through a duct, basically to enter this building, the demo ends, it's just the first couple scenes of this game. And it couldn't have been more uh, engrossing. Like it, it really was like over and over and over again, we played it finding different weapons, trying to make it through without killing anybody without being seen at all. uh, Or even touching a guy without using any weapons. Like, okay, we use the gun for this. 
they give you chaff grenades here. I wonder what you can do with that. Oh, cool. This affects the surveillance camera. Like there's just so much detail packed into this tiny little section. And it's not like they did that just for marketing. And then immediately the game slows down. Every single room in every place in that game is that tight and that well put together. And so, yeah, it was a, that was the moment that I was excited about metal gear and, have remained such uh, pretty much my whole life since. Uh, but I was introduced to the series um, on the NES when I was a kid. I had friends or a friend or whatever who had it. I saw pictures of Snake and Metal Gear, which are from the cover of the game, uh, in magazines. I was aware of it, but I never owned Metal Gear on the NES. I do now, but I didn't then uh, and didn't play it much. So I had seen it knew it existed, knew this character was out there, but Metal Gear Solid was my first, like, I'm going to get into this. And one thing we didn't talk about there that's also in that demo is a huge aspect of the series. The series is this weird balance. Some people really don't like the balance, but it's this weird balance of story-heavy information and scenes and voice acting and performances of this spy fiction that's mixed in with this gameplay that's super fun to do over and over again. Um, and that, even in that demo, the first couple of cutscenes in the introduction of the game, I was hooked and couldn't wait to play it. Yeah. Now, what's going to happen next? Who are these characters? Like, this is so interesting to me. And, uh, and for me, you know, I'm sure there was other stuff. I'm sure there were other voice acting games. I know that Kojima had already made, like, Snatcher on the Sega CD, and that's very voice-heavy. But this, for me, was like the beginning of story-heavy, believable game fiction. Because everything up to that point had been Mario and Street Fighter, and like, and even RPGs were really story-heavy, but nothing for gameplay. Like it was just random numbers here and there, grinding battle systems. But you're just playing through basically a written story. Um, and then Mario is like, you get your story in the manual, and other than that, it's just gameplay. This was like a it was like a movie with movie production values using the technology at the time. Um, and that was basically unheard of. And now there's a lot of that. Yeah. That movie uh, quality to the game was actually, you guys responded to the gameplay mm-hmm. uh, first, but that movie quality of it is what I responded to first yeah. and foremost. That's um, and I remember watching, I went to a kiosk and actually I watched my brother play the game. Uh, that was my first exposure. But I remember the opening where you're playing through the game and there's like credits scrolling as though it was like a James yeah. Bond like spy movie. Um, I, I remember that being really engrossing, super different, something I've never seen before. And then it was also like a well-designed actual video game. Uh, it was the first time I'd seen that. I'm sure it wasn't the actual first uh, instance of that but it was the first time i had seen it and and seen it done so convincingly like this is a movie we're playing movies the first time i've seen it and i think that the gaming industry changed forever after that game yeah it's is to the best of my knowledge i mean unless there's something some obscure pc game that was doing stuff like that uh which i wouldn't think kojima would have had as an influence like it was the first time they anybody was doing that stuff he was he was a pioneer for that and a lot of that no that i know now comes from his lifelong love of movies and before he ever got into the game industry he always wanted to make movies film director and he's basically just parlayed that aspect of himself into making some of the best games that he made uh and they have they all have a lot of movie flair to them yeah starting with this one um and 
as a game and and like mar- marrying that uh movie and gameplay quality to it like really well it had a lot of really cool fourth wall breaking elements to it that i think will never be able to be reproduced again uh like it's something as simple as like if you didn't if you bought the game and it didn't come with the case which like some people did you were kind of screwed because there's stuff on the game case and in the manual that you need to like progress in the game yeah uh and and when the game drm that anybody ever basically when the game asks you to get this information it literally says look at the game case like characters are talking to you as snake saying look at the game case that you bought of this video game that you're playing right now this serious situation where there's nukes at this base in this guys you need to kill um and you, as someone who's been playing games for years and never had to do that, you're like, have I found the game case yet? And you're yeah. looking through your inventory and shit, and you're like, what are they talking about? Like, Because you don't think that had never happened before, and so you didn't think, yeah. oh, that means me, Sam, needs to turn around and grab the game case off the floor. Oh, yeah, it takes some, it takes some like twists and turns in your brain to get there. It's extra, that particular moment, uh, they ask you to, you're, you're supposed to contact somebody on the radio, Mm. and uh the frequency to call this person because you can select from you know we're in we're in total spoiler zone you can say meryl right well it doesn't matter (laughs) for what i was gonna say but yeah it is meryl um you had just in the game story you had just gotten a disc that had like virus information on it in the game like you had just gotten this key that was a disc and so when he tells you, like, he says, look on the back of the CD case. That's how he says it. Mm-hmm. And so I remember being confused as hell, trying to figure out what to do with this item. And then finally, I don't know if I was, like, going to flip through the manual or something, which the, the frequency's in there, too. But you look on the back of the box, and among all the other marketing, there's a couple of screenshots. And one of the screens shows you talking to this person you haven't talked to yet, and it shows the frequency, and that's what they want you to do. Um, mm-hmm. And it really was the fourth wall breaking. That's not the only time it happens in the game. There's one phenomenally uh, cool part later that does that. But yeah. Uh, but that was yeah, a huge like whoa, like this is really cool moment for me when I was a kid. And uh, I think it's it's worth saying like in my love of Kojima and his work, like that's his. He wanted to make a movie, made a, made games instead. And he, like, there's all these non-interactive cutscenes, and that's what a lot of people don't like about his games, is that it switches between gameplay and cutscene, play and mm-hmm. cutscene, uh, and sometimes, you know, too much of one or the other for some people. But he never did anything but embrace the medium. He, and he, like, he wanted to make a movie-style story, but he wanted to make it into a game, and so he integrated the gameplay, broke the fourth wall, did things that you could never do in a movie, uh, even made in that game, there's branching paths. There's actually two separate endings uh, that you can get, which, you know, you can't do that when you're watching a DVD at your house yeah. or if you're in a theater. Like, there's a lot of things that had to be specifically this one medium for him to tell the story he wanted to tell. And uh, and when he gets a lot of shit, I think, for making his games too movie-like, I think people like how much his games needed to be games. And, and yeah. things like that, telling you to look on the back of the game case to solve this puzzle is one of the best examples. Yeah. Um, uh, that and the, the Psycho Mantis fight, I think, will be considered forever one of the most iconic boss fights ever. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was such a cool thing that even in his way better made, like better production values games later on, he was never able, I don't think, to get another moment that was that surprising and cool. No. Um, he did a lot of cool stuff in a lot of other games, but they all have been compared, I think, to the Psycho Mantis fight and have never, have always come up short because that already existed. And so, yeah. oh, sorry, go ahead, Keith. Well, and just the nature of how he interacted with our uh, physical media had changed, so it was impossible to even replicate that because you had right. to actually switch because we used to have to plug these fucking controllers into the console itself, so you had to switch controller ports so that he couldn't read your mind, uh, as it were. Um, yeah, it was cool. Um, th- stuff like the sniper wolf fight where you actually had to like go into first person, which was unheard of at the time, uh, to like snipe this person. Uh it was a really unique battle in the game. Um, but it's just lots of really cool stuff that I'd never experienced before in a game. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to uh, like describe the Psycho Mantis fight for, yeah, I think that's for worth. listeners who have not played. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, you're, you're fighting this uh, man with uh, like psychic abilities, and he's reading your mind as you're trying to... Every move you make, he predicts. And uh, I don't, I don't remember personally if it is directly suggested to you to put it in the second controller port or just implied. Because I remember being eventually. stuck for a long time. They do yeah. eventually just tell you. Yeah, yeah. Campbell tells you on the radio. Uh, but so yeah, you have to move your controller into the second port in order to actually do damage to this guy. But then at one point when he's reading your mind to show you his power he actually reads the save data on your memory card and will say shit based on the game saved. So he's like, oh, Snake, I see you like Castlevania. Like, and that's like shit like that was like personal to the player. So if you had sat there and played Castlevania, you got this scene. If you hadn't, you didn't get, you'd get other lines, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to show you his uh, ultimate power, he made you put your controller on the ground yeah, and then, he literally, like with the CD case, he literally tells the player, like, put your controller on the floor. That's it. Lay it down nice and flat. And he expects you to do that. <laughs> and then it vibrates and it moves. Um, of course, if you're on carpet, it doesn't work that well. But um, it moves across like a hard surface and he's acting like he's moving it. And it was just so fucking cool. Um, and he also, like, he would, the screen would cut. Uh, and it'd make you think that, like, there was a problem with your fucking PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, there were, yeah, I just, the the fourth wall breaking, I think, was at its peak in the Psycho Mantis battle. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it definitely They've done some really cool stuff in later games in the series, but that was the coolest, and it was the most surprising. That's part of it, is yeah. after that, you start to look for things like that in later games, and so they can't have the same effect. But the surprise of some, of a game doing those kinds of things and communicating directly with the player and using the physical technology, the CD cases and the controller. This is the DualShock. Uh, it was the first force feedback controller. Well, it was after the Rumble Pack on the N64, but because of that. But it shipped, um, it shipped with... Yeah. Um, it, was, it came out right when Metal Gear Solid came out, and so Kojima knew that they were putting this new controller out for the PlayStation that had force feedback, so he integrated that into his game, and it was one of those things where if you didn't have it... There's actually other scenes in the game where... Uh, side characters that you're talking to will have a heart attack during a scene Mm. and the controller starts beating like a heart in your hand and gets faster and faster and faster and starts vibrating like crazy while they die in front of you and it really was like a 
it messed with you emotionally. I think when it happened, you would start to like get all tense and it was just a really neat uh, way to use that feature. And nobody, since they hadn't had that in other games before, it was a brand new thing. If you had bought that controller and bought the game, it, it messed with you outside the game. Yeah. Um, some other cool moments gameplay wise from the game, the Nikita missile, I mm-hmm. thought it was fun. I'd never done anything. Like oh that. yeah, I loved driving around the Nikita missile. That yeah. was like in VR missions. Those are my favorite VR missions. Mm-hmm. Not me. I like those, but my favorite VR missions are the three where you get to play as Gray Fox. Yeah. Um, always yeah, trying yeah. to figure out what the catch, whether whatever next boss fight you're on, because it had a, the bosses were an interesting, like almost anime style cast of characters that, like visually, you could you kind of tell like that's the big guy. He's probably going to be slower moving, but if you strategy to outdo him, like. They they were all great, and they all had like really interesting. Well, not really interesting. Some of them had better backstories than others, but they they were full rounded, fleshed out characters um, that you had like really awesome fights with. And that I remember getting like a really emotional in that game at certain points, uh, like th- with uh, I think when Sniper Wolf died. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoilers. She, no, um, we did our spoiler warning. We're good. Uh, yeah, spoilers. <laughs> most of the villains die. <laughs> In that, like, Otacana's all into her and stuff. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's he's pretty creepy with all that stuff, but it does... At that point, you're kind of buddies with him, and it is really sad watching him react. Yeah. Um, there's neat stuff with, like, the... I remember with the key card, even though it was kind of annoying to have to backtrack, but you had to, like, heat it up or cool it down to have it react differently to put it into different computers so you'd have to like remember like oh this place had a bunch of lava and stuff so i could just go there hang out for a minute it'll change the key card um the game was never stale or repeated whatever trick it had it it, it never outlasted its welcome with this with the stuff um yeah and i think i think with those things it's possible that the first game is the most well-balanced as far as like they kept adding new things as you went and then would have a, th- have a section where you fully got to explore that. And then you moved on to like the next thing and like getting to pick up equipment as you go, had that kind of like Metroidvania feel to it a little bit. Um, yeah, that first game is excellent. And I'm, I'm hard pressed to say that other games are obviously like technically and visually better and i think the storytelling gets a, a little better as it goes along but that first game was i think the perfect mixture of all of the elements that go into making a great metal gear game yeah it's the balance was pretty perfect in that and it it's the way that the gameplay loop and the storyline worked the the basic gameplay of all metal gears uh for something to feel like and really be a metal gear game is stealth. And so the idea is that it's like you're playing a James Bond or a Schwarzenegger movie, like a mixture of the two. So you've got like the big heavy action scenes and stuff, but it's a lot of sneaking around and trying to infiltrate a base or someplace like that without being seen or uh, caught by guards. And so it's not, you don't run in guns blazing, but there are tools you can use. Uh, and then when you get to a big boss fight, those are where they break up that action so that you're not just hiding from stuff the entire time. You walk into a big room and this big main character villain comes out and then you have to use the tools and things that you've learned to fight them, usually fairly directly. Uh, and sometimes you use some stealth elements in it, but they give you 
cutscenes that were real story heavy, and here's a bunch of plot developments and dialogue, and then you do a bunch of stealth stuff, and then you do a boss fight, and then you go back to a cutscene, and so they keep all of these sort of threads of like, here's the story, here's how these cool gameplay things in the boss fights work, and here's what the stealth is, and they they throw them at you repeatedly, but in a it's just a really well paced game with a lot of variety to it, while still overall just being this stealth game and that's mgs1 really really is paced well um Mm. it's worth mentioning i don't know how much you guys have played of the old stuff but it's almost a beat for beat remake of metal gear 2 solid snake this is metal gear solid is the third game in the series but for all intents and purposes for most people it's the first game um but it's almost all the stuff that they do in solid is done in metal gear 2 with different characters and stuff like there's a guy the whole the cyborg ninja thing and he's like he was your friend and now he's shown up and he's doing this like there's a character that you talk to on the radio named schneider in metal gear and then in metal gear 2 you fight this guy called black ninja and after you've beaten him he's like i was really schneider all along and like (laughs) they do all the same stuff um it's and the whole like in every game snake gets captured and then has to break out of a cell and like all of these things and very specific uh, things in the boss fights uh, and how a final boss fight feels in Metal Gear, but with new tech. Uh, there's a lot of repeated stuff through the series, which I love. I love waiting to see what they'll do with certain things. But um, but for all intents and purposes, there are aspects of the games that Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake, Metal Gear Solid, and Metal Gear Solid 2 are basically three versions of the same game. It's not until yeah. 3, I feel like, that they really like decided to do something new again. Um, yeah, um, the game and the game because uh, Solid was my first yeah. uh, entry in the series mm-hmm. had a, a surprising amount of lore to it, like a good, intriguing amount of backstory that I wanted to look up after I was done with it. Um, I think that that is the game that I've played through more than any other game. I've probably played through that game like ten times, mm-hmm. uh, and it was also when I was younger and I couldn't buy my own game, so like it was one of the few games that I had. And I just wanted to keep replaying it and replaying it. Um, I definitely, that is definitely like, I've seen Dark Knight nine times in theaters. I've probably spent the same amount of time or I've played through Metal Gear the same amount of times as I've seen. It's, it's worth saying too, that almost all of these have a lot of replay value too. Like your solid gives you mm. after you beat it. Like I said before, there's two different endings you can get. One of them is harder than the other. And I, I assume if you were a kid and didn't know what you were doing, it'd be real easy to get the weaker of the two endings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but each ending you get gives you a cool special item. You can get stealth camouflage that lets you turn invisible like the Predator as you go back through the game a second time. And mm-hmm. you can also, if you get the other ending, you get a special bandana that gives you infinite ammunition for all of your weapons. And so you play through the game a couple of times, you get both of those things, and then as you play through, you just get to do fun stuff that you never got to do while you go back through the story again. And so even though you're going to go through the same story a second or a third time, you're getting this cool gameplay variety that makes it worth doing again. And they pretty much did that in all of the next ones too, I think. Yeah. But it's when you have played Super Mario Brothers a hundred times, it's the same game every time. And so is Zelda. And so is all these other really amazing games. Uh, but Metal Gear was it's on par with them in terms of production value, but gives you replay value that not a lot of games at the time. Um, I want to say something. I'm going to come clean here. Um, I have never beaten 
the original Metal Gear Solid. Really? Uh, yep. I watched you play through it a ton. Mm-hmm. I played through it myself, but I think I never made it past Sniper Wolf in the original game. Wow. Um, I did play through Twin Snakes. That was how I felt okay. Like, And that's what got me, like, I did that on my own. I played through Twin Snakes, which I know there's a lot of issues with Twin Snakes. Yeah. Um, but so I have I have personally played through the story of Metal Gear Solid 1, um, but I've never actually beaten that game. Um, That's too bad. It's, it is dated for sure as a PS1 game. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's better balanced than Twin Snakes, and Twin Snakes has some wonky, silly stuff in the cutscenes. Um, yeah, like when Snake does a backflip off a stinger missile. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for no reason. Like that. They just sort of they cheese up the cutscenes. Uh, they cheese them up, but there's good shit too. Like I love getting is. to see the ninja scene in the hallway and stuff. Oh, yeah. that was so all, rad. All of the Gray Fox stuff in that game to me is worth the price of admission. I think the new voice acting I really liked for Gray Fox, and it differentiated him from the DARPA chief because uh, they had the same voice in the first game, uh, and it was confusing the first time you play through it. You wonder mm-hmm. if a switcheroo happening and it's not it's just that they hired one guy to do two totally different characters uh but they actually brought a different dude in to play gray fox who i think fits better and the cutscenes with gray fox are fine to be over the top because he's a cyborg ninja who's bouncing all over the place and is supposed to be then there's all these other scenes with snake where it should be played a little straighter or it feels like it should be and uh, and they go a little nuts. It was Kojima was working with a Japanese director named Ryuhei Kitamura, who did a bunch of action films, and he wanted to do some stuff with this guy specifically. And so he came in and like brought his action flair to the motion capture. And so they did those scenes differently. And I get the point. It's like if we're going to remake this game and do things differently, why not actually do them differently? Um, but I think the the sum is ends up not being as good. Right, uh, and the music in general is the other thing that I think suffers a lot in that game. It just isn't anywhere near as good or iconic. It's much more like regular video gaming music and doesn't have the same uh, the same energy. The uh, yeah. the soundtracks in all of these games are stellar. You also, my other excuse is that at a certain point you moved out and I didn't yeah. have a PlayStation anymore. Oh, I had I had it. my GameCube and that's what Twin Snakes is on. Um, and it's it's a much prettier game in terms of like the character and stuff. I love yeah. the art style and the art direction in MGS One, but I, I recognize my nostalgia blinds me a little bit. Uh, one thing I think that's worth mentioning too is that in terms of the stuff that was out at the time, um, you had coming off of like the Super Nintendo and like the previous generation of consoles, everything's in two D. Main story heavy games would be like Japanese role playing games. Um, and so they'd be just lots of text and things. We had just gotten in like 96 or 97 Final Fantasy VII, which was the first 3D RPG like that. And there were a lot of games on the PlayStation and on Saturn that had cutscenes for the storyline and they would do voice acting. But what they would do is the main game would be made with the polygons of the PlayStation, which were pretty rudimentary. And there would be almost no voice acting for any of that. Everything in a storyline would be done through text, and then when they wanted to do a real big important scene, they would load in a pre-rendered CG movie with really generally pretty bad CG, and that's where the voice acting would come in, and so the storyline scenes and the games were very disjointed, and that was kind of the way everybody was doing games, and when Kojima did Metal Gear Solid, one of the things that made it stand apart 
was that they used the polygon models for everything. And so the cutscenes looked the same as the rest of the game. And it made the characters look more low-end than in those high-end CG movies in the other games. But it made the whole thing feel a lot tighter and better. And there was voice acting throughout the entire thing instead of just in these one, like, one or two scenes in the game. Right. And the whole thing... That's part of what added to its like cinematic feel. Uh, it just was all that stuff was not done before, and uh, again, that all started in MGS One. We're talking a lot about MGS One, but it's sort of the first of. Just real quick before we move on, the guy who voiced him in Twin Snakes is one of the Animaniacs. Yeah, his name is Rob Paulson. Yeah, he was I did also not know in, that he did uh, Raphael in the old Ninja Turtles cartoon. That's. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, if if you guys have anything else to say about the first game, I feel like we should move on to the second one. Um, anything, Sam? Um, no, I don't think so. I can I can give up on Metal Gear Solid <laughs> and move on, but I will say before we, I figure you guys don't want to have much to say about this stuff, so I'll real quick dive in with this, and then we can never mm-hmm. talk about them again. So there were two games before this. Metal Gear and Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake. They were both on a computer system called the MSX, which was not released in the U.S., and that's why most people never played these. They did a crappy port of Metal Gear for the NES, which is where a lot of kids my age played Metal Gear, but it was not made by Kojima or anybody that he worked with at Konami. They ported it over, changed a whole bunch of stuff, and there was no Metal Gear in the game. When you get to the end of the game, it was a computer screen, and you set bombs on it, and it blew up, and that was it. There is no Metal Gear in the <laughs> NES Metal Gear. Um, but those games, uh, they're pretty rudimentary. They're 2D. They're old 8-bit games. 2 is really good and has a lot of interesting story beats and has a lot of similar gameplay, but not with 3D graphics to Metal Gear Solid. The first one is pretty old and pretty hard to play by today's standards. Uh, but what's really cool, I played a little bit of it today just for the hell of it, and I had forgotten. Uh, everybody knows the big twist, if you've played any of the Metal Gears, that Big Boss is the bad guy in the first one, and that he is uh, Solid Snake's dad is like a big plot point in the first Metal Gear Solid. Mm-hmm. Um, none of that happens, by the way, in those games. It's just in Metal Gear Solid, they like retroactively tell you that. But in Metal Gear, in the very first one, which is old as dirt, uh, he was already trying to do some of that cinematic stuff, and the way he did it, I always remember it as just being at the very end that they give you this twist, but the way that they actually do it, uh, your commanding officer, when you're sent on this infiltration mission, is this guy named Big Boss, the big boss of your organization, Foxhound, and he calls you on the radio periodically to be like, okay, Snake, you're going to infiltrate here, we need you to you know, get in touch with these people and defeat the bad guy at the end. And he radios you all the time. What he does is throughout the game, you will walk into a room and gas will start killing you. And he will radio you and go, Snake, I forgot to tell you, that room has gas in it. You need a gas mask. And then you'll go to another area and you'll step on an electric floor that will start killing you. And he'll call you and be like, Snake, I forgot to tell you, that floor is electrified. (laughs) You need to And so he keeps forgetting to tell you shit that's going to kill you. And then at the end, you find out that Big Boss is really the big boss of the bad guys. And so he is planting the seeds of the twist the whole time. And I can't imagine that in 87, when this game came out, there were any other games that had twist endings. Like that is not a thing that was happening other than, I guess at the end of every Mario level, you 
houses and another castle, but that's as close. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I just thought I would throw that in. He he was doing that kind of shit, like trying to tell a fun movie-like story as early as 87 when it was really impossible to do anything with that. Um, but having just done that today, I thought that was really, really of his. Hey, Snake, I forgot to tell you. <laughs> is, uh, yeah. is Anyway, we can move on to MGS2 now. Uh, yeah, let's move on to MGS2 and that dirty, dirty trick that Kojima played on everyone. What a twist. Son of a bitch. What a twist. Uh, all the marketing w- would lead you to believe it's a- another game in the series that I fell in love with for a new console, a new powerful console where the characters all looked more realistic and cool. And I was like super jazzed on it. And then about 30 minutes into it, you do not play as Snake anymore. And instead yeah. you play as this... Uh, childish sounding girly looking man who's not snake it's really his only problem is he's not snake uh he is snake he's not solid snake right he's not he's snake for a minute yeah um and it took me a while to like that game mm-hmm. but i think gameplay wise that game was super slick uh and yeah. then what the game ended up being was actually in actuality really awesome and i think that that game's story and some of the gameplay parts of it really really hold up still i've I've played a version of it on the vita recently uh and really really enjoyed it um so yeah uh when did you guys figure out that twist and what how'd you what you guys think of metal gear solid 2 for the playstation 2 um it's one that i watched jw play through I think I watched it up play through MGS2. Um, I think I didn't start playing Metal Gear legitimately until three was about to come out. Mm-hmm. So I had watched it up play through two. So I didn't I didn't experience the heartbreak of two because I knew. When I when it was time for me to play, I already knew that Raiden was the main character. Right. Um, and I just sort of enjoyed it for what it was. And Did I didn't I, like how would you have played it or like because I didn't live at home at that point. Like when it came out I was living downtown. And uh, in like apartments and stuff, because um, that was two thousand one, so I was well out of high school and into college and stuff. Um, Any memory? I of got that? I got a PS two at some point. Okay, uh, I got the Slim, and I think I probably played through. Uh, that's I think when I played through Twin Snakes, and then I played through two, and then that's when MGS three was coming. It might have been actually after it came out. I might have. I might not have played three. I think I've I finally started actually playing the Metal Gear games when Subsistence came out. Um, really, before like after three had already been out for a while. Yeah, because I own Subsistence, but I never own unless I had already borrowed it. But I wouldn't have bought Subsistence um, just just for the online stuff. Right. Um, and that's uh, I think that's because I played it in high school. I remember talking to people about the fight, like some fights in MGS three. I don't know. When, when did MGS3 come out? What year? 2004. Oh, well, then that would have been... I would have been a junior in high school, so never mind. I must have played it, like, when it came out, unless Subsistence came out shortly after. It was um, six months or a year. But, yeah, so, so, I remember here, this is... We'll skip around a little bit. Uh, MGS2 came out. I couldn't freaking wait. I was reading tons and tons of articles about it, and every preview and article was the same and the trailers for that game this is the first and i think only time that kojima so kojima released trailers for these games like they were movies and people ate them up and uh rightly so they're really fun but um when he did all these trailers he actually actively 
changed the character models in scenes to show that Snake was throughout the game. And then when you get the game in hand, you only play as Snake for a short time, and they switch to this other character who is much less likable. I like him a lot now, but at the time, he was not Snake, and that's who you wanted. You wanted your Clint Eastwood character, and instead you basically had Zac Efron <laughs> come into the game and like not be fun at all. Uh, but they had actively lied to people like they straight up used false advertising to be like here are things snake will do and instead it was this other character um i played that in 2001 i would have been like 21 when it came out i was definitely wrecked by the twist and but i played through it over and over again i probably played two as much or more than i played one the gameplay in it was so much better and was so stellar with like the additions of uh the way they did hand-to-hand combat the first person aiming and uh, and dart gun the ability to not kill any of the bosses if you wanted to go through the entire game never killing anybody you could uh, there was so much cool shit so once that game was out it was like 2004 I remember being visiting you at mom and dad's house and you found a leaked piece of footage from the upcoming Metal Gear Solid three it was the first anybody had seen yeah. anything. And it was the main character. It was Snake eating a snake in the woods. It was only a few seconds of footage. And it was this, like, JW, you've got to see this. Do you think this is real? And I had no idea, but it sure looked real as shit to me. And I was like, what is this? What could this be? And I, like, theorized, I think it might be this. Maybe this is happening in the plot. Well, after the ending of this one, it's got to be this. And we talked about it, and you were excited about it. And I wonder if your excitement for 3 is when you finally played Two, because Twin Snakes came out between two and three. Twin Snakes, uh, for anybody that doesn't know, is a remake of Metal Gear Solid One, but they used the engine and the gameplay of two for it. So it was like a, it was like doing a, you know, the Blu-ray basically. It was like bringing out a, a redone version of the first game so that it didn't look as old and people could. Enjoy and it had the same. It had first person and it had like yeah. And this has some of the new mechanics. Five or six years after the original game came out, which in console terms is, is a long time. Um, and so, yeah, it was the idea was that, hey, we're going to update this game so that it's fun by today's standards. And there are good things about it for sure and negative things. I still prefer the original, but I'm happy that it exists. Uh, but yeah, that would have come out right before, like within a few months before 3. So it would make sense that if you only played through Twin Snakes and then 2 and then 3 right when it came out or something, that would have timed out pretty well. Yeah. Like yeah. If, if that, because I, I remember coming to see that trailer at your house and then within a few days, it was like E3 and here was the real trailer that this was cut from and we got really excited about it. Maybe that was what made you go, okay, I'm going to play through this now. Yeah, it was something like that. Um but uh, but yeah, that's so. Sorry for causing that big aside. But yeah, I, I, yeah, that's when I played through two, and so I did not have this surprise of riding. I knew what I was getting into, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah. Um, it's a really fucking great game. And Snake, um, for what it's worth, like Solid Snake is a character in the game after you stop playing as him and he is around and you get you get to go through an entire section of the game where it's the two of you doing shit and that's it's really still, cool. Yeah, that's still one of my favorite sections of any game is that is near the end Snake comes in as your buddy and he's you've interacted with him a bunch in the game but this is like he shows up and you play through this section of the game where you are 
defending yourself and shooting all these bad guys and snake is standing next to you doing the same thing and you're like running from cover to cover and you as the player and as this other character get to have snake be your like big brother uncle guy like helping you out it's really neat and it's something that couldn't have existed unless they switched up the characters um two is where i started to really think about the games like Kojima, alongside all of the superficial movie stuff, like making cutscenes, making it a spy fiction, all of these games, uh, and 2 is the biggest example of it, he has thematic ideas. Like He comes at these writing a script and making it like his as a piece of art like a movie where he says, here's what I want to say with this, and then he shapes the story around that and the gameplay you know, feeds into the storyline. The first game... Uh, is talks about nuclear stuff a little bit, but it's very simplistic. The second one, uh, which we didn't talk about very much, is a little more involved, and basically it's all about uh, war and perpetuating war, and if you're a warrior, uh, can you give up fighting? And then Metal Gear Solid, which is the first one most of us played, is about genetics and can you fight what your genetics say about you and like what your abilities are going to be according to your genetics? And he answers that by saying, yeah, you are, you're not a slave to your genes. And so the stories always serve these larger themes. And two, the whole point of two was about information control and changing expectations and messing with people. And so the switch of the main character, which a lot of people really hated uh, which I did at the time and then came to realize how much it was a neat thing to do um, is about messing with the player. It's a fourth wall break through uh, the narrative. And uh, yeah, it really, it messed with me uh, a lot and became a really interesting thing. Like the execution I think suffers a little bit and the pacing is nowhere near as good uh, as the previous game. But I also think a lot of the problems that people have with it, or how wordy it is, come from a bad translation, which after two, I don't think they suffered from bad translations again. Yeah, I think that two is probably one of the smartest games ever made, and I think it it doesn't get as much credit as it probably should. I, there's people out there that do talk about it in this way, but it's, it is really smart. It, you're talking about playing with expectations and... Uh, deceiving people. It's exactly what he did intentionally with the marketing for this game. Yeah. It wasn't a mean thing where it's like, we need to sell this and Snake sells games. It was more like, yeah, Kojima was like really trying to say something and uh, really committed to it. Um, and that's one of the most exciting things about Kojima. When he advertises a game, it's always really fun and makes the wait for the game less painful. Yeah, um, so, I agree that was the first instance of that. And, you know, the, the twist unfortunately was kind of painful because we wanted to play a snake again. Um, and we got a little taste of it and then he ripped it away from us. But I think that what we got in the end was a really smart kind of like big commentary on making sequels to games and the nature of like just doing the same formula over and over again, what goes into it and, all that stuff uh, with with all that commentary and, and all of the information control stuff, which is interesting kind of how it's playing out in our real world right yeah. now. 
Yeah, it was very much about censorship and information control through the government. And basically, it was sort of, this is 2001. So, I mean, it was almost a proto-internet compared to what we have now. Like, mm-hmm. the internet existed, but it just was not, it was like BBSs and little message boards and stuff wasn't what it is now in terms of tech and the amount it wasn't of in your pocket yeah and it not everybody used it for much like adults people who were in their 30s really didn't use it at all except for like at certain like work intranets and stuff but the ideas behind it were a lot of what we're seeing now is like net neutrality and things like that is a real public version of what he was making spy fiction where it was like you have these crazy governmental powers that are going to now control what information people get and what context they get with it. And it was basically this, we're going to run the world by changing the way people get information and what information they get. And we will tell them what to think. It was that kind of thing. So it's, it's out there, but it isn't that out there in 2017. We're now seeing a lot of the stuff that was supposed to be happening in 2009 in the game, I think. These games always take place, except for the ones that take place in the past, in the very near future. So the first one came out in, 2000, in uh, 1998, and it took place in 2005. This one came out in 2001, and it took place in 2007 and 2009. So they're always just a few years ahead so that he can he can do interesting stuff with them, but not have them be like way like a thousand years in the future or something. Yeah. Um, they won't be a slave to exactly what's happening right then. Um, mm-hmm. One thing I think is worth mentioning, uh, just in, I don't know if it's trivia or if it's just, I don't know. This game came out in 2001. It came out, I don't remember, it was near the end of the year, so like November, December or something. Uh, September 11th happened, right before this game came out. And there is a scene, like the whole third act of the game uh, takes place, the whole game takes place in or near New York. You're on this... uh, oil cleanup facility that's like off the shore of New York and at the end of the game this giant uh, craft from the water crashes into New York City and this thing, this game had been in the works since 1998 and was coming out just after September 11th. They ended up censoring which actually weirdly plays into what this game was but they ended up censoring a scene where they show the crash. And so they go from this thing is heading toward New York to a black screen. And then bam, you're in the center of New York standing on top of a building after this crash happened. And they know they don't show it to you. And the skyline doesn't have the twin towers in it. It's really weird how it all panned out, but it was this thing where for like a month or so, we didn't know if the game was going to come out, that mm-hmm. it might not get released because they had to deal with this thing. Uh, it was really a, just a strange time. Yeah. Uh, I never knew that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a sequence, like, Arsenal gear crashes into New York, and it was supposed to be a scene of it crashing in to the city, and, like, bam, like, right before the game came out, uh, the planes crashed into the towers. So they were like, oh, we can't do that. And so they couldn't change the plot, but they just didn't show you that part. Yeah. Strange. Sam, you got anything else to say about two? Um, I just think it's convenient that Jadab didn't mention Building 7. <laughs> or the Pentagon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Kojima and Bush and the government. That's really what it comes down to. That's the name uh, of this episode. Me and Kojima and Bush and the government? <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, People I, are going to be sorely disappointed. 
anyway, no, I I loved MGS two, um, but it's probably my least favorite. I I it's don't know. Weirdest, it's the weirdest one. It's my favorite for certain things, but in terms of the player character, I don't love Raiden. Uh, a lot of it comes down to his design and, and their choices in voice actor. I think the ideas are really cool. Uh, the voice actor is... I like him now. I'm used to him now. Uh, his name's Quentin Flynn, and mm-hmm. I think he did a really good job in 4. But if you hear what the Japanese voice was and then who they cast in the U.S., I don't know why they ever cast Quentin Flynn. He doesn't sound anything like Raiden. Like, he had a super deep tough voice in Japan, and when he came out here, they were like, he doesn't look that tough, let's make him sound like this. And Ryden, like, Quentin Flynn is a great voice actor, he's good, but he does not sound like Ryden was gonna sound. Um, yeah. and, uh, and I think that turned a lot of people off, was sort of how whiny some of it was the performance, some of it was the translation, I'm sure. Uh, but, yeah, they made him more of like an anime character, compared to Solid Snake, who was more like a Clint Eastwood uh like tough guy and it turned a lot of people off me included and it didn't help that the character model his actual design i think his shoulders are thinner than his hips he's very womanly uh which i just sort of was like why not make him a girl why not make us play meryl that like something like that i think would have gone over a lot easier yeah but yeah that would have been cool i thought they could do that that they could continue Meryl into the series, have the exact same kind of relationship between her and Snake, all of that, and have her doubting whether Snake was a good guy anymore. They could have done all the same stuff, but if you had Meryl, uh, it would have been an easier pill to swallow for people. Yeah. Um, I I think the reason that MGS2 is probably my least favorite is I just think that when I think about my time with Metal Gear, MGS2 has the, the least memorable gameplay moments for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my biggest memory from MGS2 is having an hour-long fight with my girlfriend on the codec. Like, <laughs> and as, and I, there's obviously there's other shit I remember and liked from the game, but it's it stands out the least in my head when I think of the other yeah. games in the series I've played. Um, I Or even ones I've watched. Like, I never even finished MGS1 on the PS1, but I still have memories of all of that shit of watching you do it and of doing it myself in Twin Snakes. Um, when I think about those games, I immediately think of a handful of like really just treasured gaming moments from my my life, um, and I have the fewest of those from two. I could see that. I have a lot, but I I would say my best time and the most uh, memorable stuff for me is playing the demo of the tanker, the first chapter where you play a snake over and over and over again. Because just like the demo for the first game it's basically a vertical slice of like, this is what this game feels like. This is how well it plays. And the gameplay is amazing. The first boss fight, which is in that demo is you're in the, in this hallway in the tanker and the lights go out or they don't actually go out. Uh, Some of the lights go out and these soldiers file in and you have a gun battle using cover. And it's like this whole cover system and first person shooting that is added to the original Metal Gear Solid style gameplay, but you can shoot the pipes and have steam hit the guys. You can shoot out the the lights above you and above them, and then look with uh, infrared goggles, and they start missing you with most of their bullets, and you can hit them. And I just played 
over and over again trying to find little secrets and all this stuff. Uh, and I, the rest of the game has that stuff too, but I think I put in hours longer than is reasonable just in that one demo. Uh, and I loved the gameplay. It was such a huge step up from one. Uh, but the storyline, yeah, did not didn't end up grabbing me in the same way. Yeah, having that shift from being able to go into first person mode just added a whole new level to the playfulness of all the things that Kojima likes to pack in and not tell you about. Um, all the experimentation of like, oh, if I shoot the lights out, does it do the lights actually go out? And they fucking do. And then the guys can't see as well. Yeah, um, it's it's awesome and. Um, one of my favorite things about that game, the reason why I played it so much was, uh, the new like hold up system where you could like literally like stealth up behind guys, you, you hold your gun up and snake goes freeze and they're like, and, uh, and then you could like get their dog tags and stuff. That was a whole meta game. Uh, I spent so long trying to get so many dog tags. I never ended up getting all of them in any of my playthroughs. I, there's like a few that are super missable. Um, and, and some that are really tricky to get. Uh, but yeah, I think that that game was a lot of fun. Um, and for as much as I hated it at first, I played the shit out of it. Just because, like, of course, it was it was fun to play. Still, it was a Metal Gear game. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, as much oh. as the story rubbed me the wrong way the first time or two that I played through it, it was so fun. It was so fun, and it was so pretty and well-made. I played it over and over again. And, mm-hmm. of course, until for three years, it was the most recent Metal Gear game, so I played it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, if we, uh, I think if we have nothing more to say, other than the end of that game is super bonkers. That uh, I loved it. Like when sh- when shit starts going nuts in that at the end of that game, I was super into it. I was like, this is weird, and now I love it. Uh, uh, yeah, that's. I still don't fully understand it. Like I, I could tell you exactly what happens in it. Uh, my problem is I really do think the translation suffers a bunch in that game. There's a guy, the guy who translated that game is not the dude who had continued to translate metal gears after that. There's a guy named Scott Dolph and uh, he worked on like the zone of the enders games too, which are a little wonky in terms of the translation. But I have to think that a lot of the specifics and the language used and the weirdness that happens at the end uh, with the AIs freaking out and all of the explanation of, Solidus yelling about information control and all these things. I think a lot of that is lost in the translation because this guy just wasn't a great translator. Like yeah. I be, Oh, this is actually, this is a neat thing that I don't know if you guys would know uh, that there's no other place to talk about this. Um, Metal Gear Solid 2, when it was originally pitched and shown in video form, like this is our proof of concept to Konami, like when Kojima said, Hey, this is the game I want to make next it was going to be called Metal Gear Solid 3. They were going to... That was going to be part of the information control thing, mm-hmm. was to mess with it and have people wondering what happened to 2. Or they thought that they were going to do the tanker and call that 2, and then when the Raiden chapter started, it was immediately going to be called 3. Um, and, like, mess with timing and things. Uh, the video is out there. It's You can watch it on the internet, and the reveal of it shows Raiden like it shows the switcheroo. Uh, the guy who who like narrates it is Scott Dolph, and his English is terrible. <laughs> like he is speaking, and he's like, 
there was a man whose name was Solid Snake. He was the agent, and then there was the Raiden, and it's that's the dude who translated from Japanese to English for the game. And so I, I've always kind of wanted a redone version of two, but that would of course mean either recasting or they have to get everybody back to record voice. I can't see it ever happening, but I would love to hear a like really well translated version of two. I think a lot of the stuff that people don't get about it, including me would be solved. I think if, if we were like understanding the writing, the way the Japanese audience would have. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, uh, I think I'm cool to move on to three if you guys are. Yep. Yes. Uh, three is, I believe, my favorite in this franchise. Uh, as much fine. as I love one, I yeah. really like have a real soft spot for three. Um, it was just, you know, the whole the the bad guy of the whole series is Big Boss. Um, so when we f- first started seeing trailers for this game and previews of it, they're like, it's set in the sixties You're and it still is like the guy is still snake. And it's like, how is that even fucking possible? Um, and then you end up finding out like the trailers for the game are just weird, but, uh, you end up finding out that it's actually big boss that you're playing as. Um, and so I was like, Oh, what, you know, like, how is this going to work? And why would I want to play as the villain? What is going on here? Um, and when you, what happens when you actually start playing the game is one, I was shocked at how straightforward the game was considering how crazy and off the rails two went. And two, uh, big boss was a really compelling character, like more so than I think solid was. Uh, so I got super into the story and it, it gave a lot of, uh, really good context for the rest of the series. Um, it, it really justified and earned that kind of setting and telling this prequel story before prequels were really a, a thing in pop culture. Um, so if you guys want to go from there. Uh, yeah, you know, I can talk. I <laughs> feel, uh, I think it's also my favorite standalone game. Uh, in the series. I think a lot of things get better and better and better as the series goes and as the production values get better. I think the gameplay continues to evolve and get better. So as we get to it, I think like Metal Gear Solid 4 and 5, like there's a lot of things in those games that are better even than 3. But 3 as a story, gameplay experience, even a starting point, like if you somehow just didn't want to play the older games, you could start with 3 and be pretty satisfied. Um, it's great. I think it's my favorite of them. Came out 2004. What's neat about it is that it feels almost like a standalone story because it's a prequel, but it's so much more interesting if you have already played the other ones because two, we didn't talk about this, but two ends on a like very specific cliffhanger where mm-hmm. one of the main bad guys uh, like leaves and Snake like Raiden has his ending, his little story is done, but Snake is like, all right, I'm going to go after the bad guy, and they leave, and then they explain to you that the bad guys running the whole world from behind the scenes in the government are called the Patriots throughout the game. You find out about them. They are, uh, it's called the Wiseman's Committee that runs the Patriots, and it's 12 guys, and they're all based in Manhattan, which is where you are, and then the very ending stinger of the game after the events that are a cliffhanger of him leaving is that they they all died a hundred years ago 
and that's where the game ends. And then they bring yeah. in Metal Gear Solid 3, and instead of following any of that up, it takes place in the 60s, which is just like, oh, well, they're not going to answer any of that. But through the story, which is a standalone thing that starts in the 60s, it's really about the background of Big Boss and about sort of the origins of all of the other things that happen in the series. Uh, they end up giving you the context of, they make that stuff make sense. The the they died 100 years ago thing, that all gets explained, even though they don't go into the events of what would happen after 2. They answer some stuff through this sort of prequel story. Um, and it was really satisfying to me. Like, I loved this story. I loved Big Boss, the boss, who is his mentor, that really the story is about their relationship and everything that happens with her, is so much better than anything else in the series, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, I love a lot of the other stuff in the series, but this, this like, cross-section is just the best little bit of all of it. I think the boss and Big Boss are great. The acting is awesome. It's David Hayter's maybe my favorite performance of his is as Big mm-hmm. Boss in this. Uh, he's David Hayter as Snake in all these games is stellar, and I've seen people bitch about like his age or his performance in Four or Peace Walker and stuff, and I don't get it. I just think he's great. Um, but three, yeah, three is. I was so excited when Sam and I watched that trailer before the game came out, and then I just theorized, because of the ending of 2, I was just like, well, it could be this. Well, what could happen? Because there's so many twists and turns in 1 and 2. This one was so straightforward, but they still give you a really satisfying, wonderful twist at the end. It has the most emotional resonance, I think, of any of the stories. Oh, absolutely. Like, most affected by all of it and the ending. The boss fights in this are super fun. Um mm-hmm. I think the characters of the bosses are less good than Foxhound in one, but I think Foxhound in the first game is probably the best collection of villains in the entire series. They've never yeah. really hit that high again. Um, this was this was a close second in comparison. I don't think two is as good. I don't think four is anywhere near as good. Uh, five really doesn't even have any. Um, so this one, it was cool, but they just there is not a lot of character to them except for the boss. Um, but yeah, I, I played this game over and over again, and all the things I said about 2, the gameplay being so good, this one just adds more on top of that. And some people don't like the controls, I think, because it's so complex uh, as a system, but I just, I got good at it and love it. I love the CQC in this. It's got all the same first-person stuff from the other one, but you can also now, like, grab a guy around the throat, aim at another guy at the same time, use him as a human shield, throw him on the ground after you've shot the other guy with a dart gun. Like, there's just so much to do. Same deal. Played a demo over and over and over again of the first areas before I ever played the game. And then the rest of the game just blew me away. I love this game. And now I'll shut up. Um, Yeah, three... Three super great, and I think that you know where I kind of fell in love with Big Boss was there's a moment like Snake as a character is pretty basic and really stoic, but he he's great because he he it just has a great like David Hayter really brought that character to life for me. Yeah. Um, but the moment it's very early in the game in three where Snake is like sur- it's like a cutscene where he's surveying the area and he's checking out uh, this guy is on patrol and he sees that he can shoot a bee's nest and it could fall on the guy and possibly chase him away and he sees it and he smiles and that's the end of the cutscene. i was like holy shit that was more emotion than i've seen from snake in any of these games in that one moment and 
and like big boss goes through the whole gamut throughout the whole game like he he has to like trust people and then he gets betrayed and falls in love and goes through all these things that made him way more relatable and grounded as a character um and it was easier for me to connect with um the production value of the game it had like a full musical score that was just awesome like every boss fight had a great theme song to fight to uh the villain was really just nasty and awesome, like well portrayed, well written. Uh, the boss herself is one of the greatest and strongest uh, characters ever made in a game. Um, yeah. Super awesome, like female character. Uh, and like the end of that game, that final boss fight, I don't think there'll ever be one that's more satisfying than that to me, especially like the emotional resonance of it. I, I, I do remember, like, I was super alone when... Super alone. I was just alone when I played the end of the game. Uh, and, like... There I were negative out. five people with you. <laughs> yeah, I... Less I, people than zero. <laughs> uh, I cried at the end of that. Um, yeah. And that was, like, when... It, PS2 era gaming is, like, when I first started getting, like, really emotional with games. And seeing that you could have that cinematic quality and be connected to these characters so much so that if, when things happen to them, sometimes it'll make you cry. Um, and, uh, that was one of the earliest, uh, scene thing instances of that happening to me. Uh, yeah. so that game will forever be memorable to me. And, and that is why it'll be my favorite metal gear. Um, when substance or subsistence, I think it was came out, um, the online mode I played obsessively, even though it wasn't very good. Um, I remember, uh, I remember playing it so much, like every day after school and like making friends in that game and you couldn't talk or anything. There was no chat. It was just all done through like text and getting into a clan that like practiced and I remember I walked in and I was so good at the combat that like I it you just joined random rooms and I joined a room where these guys were just standing they were all standing in a line and they were doing one on one CQC training battles <laughs> with each other and I was like what is going on here and I clearly wasn't supposed to be there and they they saw I was there and they were like who are you and I was like I don't know I responded with some smart ass shit. And they're like, all right. And the guy who was supposed to be like the leader of the clan was like front and center. Now we're going to do this. <laughs> and we, fucking loser. <laughs> we fought, we fought and I beat him and it was supposed to be like this huge deal. Like no one else could. And so like, we would just fight each other every now and then. And it was like one for one. We like, I would win some and he would win some, but we were like supposed to be the best in that room. And our, and I was just like, it was worth it for that moment, for that little interaction of online people. That was my first uh, internet gaming experience. I love it. I love yeah, that. Yeah, I do too. I like that a lot. That's so great. That's exactly what it should have been. Like, that's exactly <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I, I did not play much of the online. This was the first online game I ever fucked with at all. It was like me getting my PS2 online was like a huge deal. Uh, I didn't care about other online games, but it was like, well, Metal Gear is doing it. I was not into it as a thing for Metal Gear to do because I was worried it would ruin everything I liked about it, which was very personal, very story heavy, very single player. And to make it an online game, if they like decided this was real successful and like the next one will be all online. Like I was, right. I was overly worried about that kind of stuff. Um, 
I had a lot of fun with the little that I played of the online, but uh, mm. but I did not play it enough to have a lot of interactions like that. <laughs> I I had a lot of fun with that. I didn't play it a ton either. But one thing I remember is I got that I got the like special edition subsistence the day it came out. Um, I still have it, and I understand that aspects of it are hard to find, so that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I signed up for the online immediately, and I got the username because they were unique. I got the username Batman with no numbers or anything. Um, <laughs> and I remember I didn't play that often, and every once in a while I would play in a lobby with someone who was like Batman 445, and they had like hundreds and hundreds of hours logged. <laughs> and I was like, mm-hmm. sorry, <laughs> like, I don't deserve this. <laughs> If anybody's going to have it, it shouldn't be me. Yeah. Um, But what are you going to do, you know? Um, Yeah, so I also agree. I think MGS3 is my favorite. Um, For all of the reasons you guys just said, too, the story of the boss, I think the boss is absolutely one of the best characters I've ever experienced, whether that be from a movie, a show, (coughs) a book, or anything like that. If you had told me before I played that game, uh, we're going to make a new Metal Gear about Big Boss, the guy that you know Snake is cloned from, like I would trust in, and and he's a super badass. You're going to like him more than Snake. I'd be like, okay, like that's you know I love Solid Snake, but it's just like I can see that being a possibility. And also, a main character is going to be the woman who trained him, and her name is the Boss, and you're going to like her more than anybody else in the series They're like oh okay like i don't know about that like it just doesn't it doesn't it shouldn't she shouldn't have been as amazing as she was and not yeah. because she's a woman it was just like it's you would you bloat those things it's hard um and i did like the fact that she was a woman because her being a woman had absolutely nothing to do with any aspect of her character i always remember um and i know that's not completely true but uh i'll always remember the line when i is it like Eva, I think, uh, asked Snake like if they were in love, and he's like, "No, like you don't understand." For ten years, we lived and died together on the battlefield. Like that was such a fucking badass way to to basically just say, like, it doesn't matter if we were fucking. It doesn't matter. They're like the romantic. If there was a romantic component to our relationship, it's completely doesn't matter because that's right. not it's why it's important. Yeah. Um, and I, I always loved that line so much. Um, and you have to fucking kill her. Like you have to kill her at the end of the game. And I, I think all of us probably sat there hovering over the trigger for a long time. Like mm-hmm. it is hard to pull that trigger. Um, oh yeah, I forget they make you pull the trigger too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they fucking make you pull the trigger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's where that's what I was talking about with Kojima never forgetting that he's not making a movie he's making a game and that that interactive shit that you can't possibly do in a movie he excels at like emotional manipulation in a good way and uh and interacting with the player and having the player interact with the stories that he creates and that moment the pulling the trigger is like as much as like the fourth wall stuff was never better than psychomantis that trigger pull is the most emotionally resonant moment i think in the series it's because such a big deal it's, it's not a boss fight where you're trying to kill this boss and then you win and you get a cutscene. it's like you've got this fight and the whole time uh you're like hesitant and you're you you're like you're going through the fight and you're it's fun and everything but you're also fighting this character that you love who's been a villain 
through a lot of them. There's already been a huge emotional arc with that character. And essentially by the end, uh, you find out, you know, or you know that she is, she's given up everything her entire life to help. And in order to seal the deal, in order to make everything she has done, not in vain, you have to kill her. And so that final moment, it's after the fight and she's like just waiting, sitting, waiting for you to kill her. She wants you to, you know, you have to. And I just remember trying to figure out any way out of it. Like, is there some way I could not do this? Um, and then you have to do it and you pull the trigger and it's like, it's, you know, they managed to suck the joy out of beating a video game that you've been playing for hours that, and hours and hours. That is um, the best unintentional pun. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, if they replace it with sorrow and you're full of fury. Right. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, it's just such a fucking amazing moment. And I absolutely cried at that scene. I think I it's I would still say I think that that is the most emotional I've ever I've ever felt from a game. Um the most sadness I've ever felt from a game. I I think I've probably felt more other things other ways, but um horniness specifically. Right. Uh, <laughs> horniness is my favorite emotion. Yeah, horn, horniness uh, in Mass Effect 2. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it just was so amazing. But that aside, so anyway, all I'm saying is I agree with you guys on those things. Um, something I don't feel like you touched on that is another amazing thing about that game. It's one of the things that makes it stand out. And it's something they did more with the series is up until then, you were very much in corridors and hallways and in rooms. And then yeah. all of a sudden you're in the fucking jungle and there's so much shit to find. Like you could burn so much time just running around the woods, finding animals, um, finding all this little stuff. And that was so much fun. Um, finding those little uh, frogs, like every scene had a little yeah. green frog in it. I never gave a shit about the dog tags. Um, it was not a thing that I cared about. I didn't hunt those frogs religiously, but I spent a lot of time trying to find them. Um, oh, you're talking about you're not talking about the actual like tree frogs you can eat because that was there was no. a survival aspect of this game. I'm saying for other people, not for you, where you could hunt animals and you needed you had stamina that would go down and you had to eat fruit and animals and snakes and frogs. And there's even a theme song at the very beginning that has a lyric that says, "One day you'll feed on a tree frog." Uh, that's what I thought you were talking about. You're talking about the little Kiratan yeah, Kiratan guys dude. that you would shoot uh, as like a secret thing in every area. Yeah, you had to sh- you had to find them and shoot them. Gotcha. Um, and they in the 3DS port they were turned into Yoshi's. Um, that's right. But um, yeah, I, I just the woods being out in the woods. You, I felt like it was this whole other level of control. It wasn't so much these like tight puzzles of how do I get. I'm in a box and how do I get from one end of the box to the other with these guards? But it was like, there was so much more like he says, shooting down these beehives, climbing the trees. Like I climbed so many trees to drop on enemies. You would hide in logs, like just something about being outdoors so much was so great. And then there's other, uh, like you're outdoors and you're in the woods a bunch. And then you go in buildings and get all this old metal gear building work. Um, like you got to do both of them. And I really loved just that sense of freedom. Like it still was metal gear and it still was linear, but it, it it's in the same sense. It felt way more open. Um, just, it just expanded even more in how you could do everything. Um, 
and I loved it. And I think it also was the first game that I played relatively recently to when that came out. So I was able to be just like hard on the hype train with yeah. you. Um, yeah. Like, with, with you, Keith, and UJW, like, I think that we all talked about it a bunch. We all played Metal Gear Online together to some degree. Like, I was fun to sort of be with it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I I love that game, and it has one of my favorite moments in the series, uh, which I'm in a way, I, before we end, I want, I want to talk about, like, I want everybody to hit their favorite single moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... Being out in the jungle, too, added a whole new aspect to the stealth uh, mechanic of the game, uh, where you could literally hide in grass, um, oh, end, up, end up in trees, and the collection aspect of, like, finding all the camo. Camos, yeah, just camo in general was so fucking fun. Yeah, yeah that's that has become a thing that I love about games in general. Like, when mm-hmm. I'm playing a game now, and there are... Uh, outfits or armor sets or things to collect. I'm all about it, and I think that started for me with the camo yes. that you could get uh, the different camo outfits in. MGS, MGS3 was the first game and not the last game that I ever played where I would think a cutscene was coming up, so I'd put on my favorite suit. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, that is all black then, with the skull face paint. Oh, uh, I, skull I face paint. That so much, yeah. I liked the skull face paint. Um, Oh no! I'm. I was gonna say that the like red, uh, like red box camo is my favorite. But that's my favorite Smash Brothers, uh, snake outfit. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my favorite. The brick, the brick yeah. camo. It's like that digital. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't particularly love that one. My <laughs> my favorite ones. I love the moss camo that you can get from fighting the end the oh, right way. Yeah. yeah, and I like the uh, the sorrow camo is like this cool like, it's just blue and like grayish blue uh, like pattern watery, on it. Right? And then as you look at it, yeah, it looks kind of watery. As you look at it closer, it's made of skulls. It's a oh, bunch yeah. of like cool looking skulls together. And then my, I think my absolute favorite, I just realized, is the snake camo, which is what you get from beating the boss. So you really only get it for like your second or third playthrough or whatever. Um, but it's this weirdish bluish green pattern and it's got these little flecks of yellow in it and it looks really good on snake like it's just an awesome yeah. it fits the character and his design and his bandana and everything really well uh but the the sneaking suit which i think is that is that the black with the skull that you're talking about or are you talking about actual black keith no it was just the black camo the soft gotcha. black okay yeah. no i used to wear the russian sneaking suit and the skull face camo all the time I wore those a lot. I would actually, I liked to go skull face shirtless a lot. Um, oh, yeah. I didn't do much of the shirtless, but it I is bamboo shit. I love it. Especially when, like, so one of my favorite things in MGS3 was, uh, and in all Metal Gear games, but MGS3 I think was one of my favorite to do this because of a particular weapon. When, like, I always would try to be sneaky, and then when things would go south, I would just rampage and kill everyone and eventually <laughs> die, and then try it again sneaky but it was so much fun to go rampaging but it yeah. wasn't how i wanted to actually proceed yeah it didn't uh, feel right but it was a super fun way to play <laughs> right and so i would use it as an opportunity and at a certain point in the game you get the fucking m60 uh which is a giant machine gun and snake when he when you shoot it for long enough he just starts screaming um and so that was i would always uh oh i just got seen and it's it's too late. Skull face paint. Take off my shirt. Pull out the M60, <laughs> and I <laughs> just run around yelling as I mowed down these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
yeah. yeah. So much uh, fun. yeah. Um another thing that was a big improvement was I think this was the first time where I really noticed uh Kojima's cinematography. Uh it just stepped up to a whole new level in this game. Yeah. Like even to the point to where Snake jumping out of a plane was really exciting. Uh <laughs> yeah. but even like the action scenes that he constructed, like that first time where he's doing the CQC to all of Ocelot's bodyguards and stuff. Um Lots of really cool stuff in the cutscenes in this game, more yeah. than just dialogue this time. Uh, so it was a it was a big step up, a big evolution for his cinematic style. I feel in this game. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, and I do. Jeb, you mentioned this. I want to touch on. Uh, I the boss fights in this I loved, and I particularly like one a memory from high school. I don't know if it was you or somebody else, Keith, but I remember um, talking to someone about fighting the end, which is oh, just like. Yeah this crazy sniper battle that you have to like, you have to set aside some fucking time because this you're in this gigantic, like three section map, like, which means that there's like three pieces that are too big to be in the same thing. They couldn't load them all. They're basically at the same rooms, time, but they're um, out of woods. They're just connected by paths. Yeah. So you're just in this huge jungle and you're fighting a guy wearing a camouflage that is just made of jungle. Um, mm-hmm. And he's an expert sniper. And I remember that like, Beating the end took me a, like a, an hour and a half, probably. Like, and that's not that's that's an hour and a half alive. Like, not trying and dying and yeah. doing that for an hour and a half in real life, but like winning the boss fight from starting the boss fight to ending successfully was like an hour and a half of gameplay. Um, and I just like sneaking through the woods, looking for glints off of his gun, like in the scope and stuff. It was so it felt so real. Whereas most boss fights in games and in the Metal Gear games too, they generally feel, you know, they're really ham fisted. Um, mm-hmm. And there was something like, I felt like I was in a sniper battle because they always in games like this person is the best X ever. And then you, uh, you're like, I'm not that I know me in a controller is not the best version of this ever, yeah. but you still go win. It doesn't matter. But this sniper battle, like I felt like I had to really get good at it in order to actually kill him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like so much fun ways to kill yes. them as well. Like, Which you, you, there's a part usually in the true earlier. in yeah. Metal Gear that there are multiple ways to do everything, and boss fights included. There's usually like secret ways to beat them. Every item that they give you in every Metal Gear game is usable for some stuff. Like it's not there's there's just a lot of uh, creativity in the use mm-hmm. of items and things. But yeah, the end having multiple ways to beat them. Like you can do that long protracted sniper battle but you don't have to that's i assume what you're about to talk about yeah like there's you can see him right after a cutscene in the way in the beginning of the game and you have a chance to kill him then uh you could just shoot him in the head and he is dead like uh, yeah (laughs) when you go to fight him he's not there and also when you start that sniper fight with him you can turn the console off and leave it like not play the game for a week and because it tracked whatever date it was if you came back after a week of not playing the game or you just changed the date he died of old age while he was waiting to snipe you to do this boss fight (laughs) like there's lots of really cool shit like that in the game and they so the those are like the fun secret crazy ways to win the yeah. fight is to yeah to not fight him at all there's two other ways uh but then the actual way of fighting him like the way i usually fight him when i go through is 
I use stealth and I sneak up behind him and hold him up and then shoot him a bunch of times with the dart gun rather than like staying far away and trying to use a sniper rifle to beat him. Yeah. Uh, which is, it's definitely the way that feels the rightest is to have a sniper battle with him, but uh, you can't not kill him doing that. And one of the things I love starting in MGS two, but in all of these games is that you can basically play, I wouldn't say as a pacifist, but you can play without killing anyone, and usually you get cool shit for not killing anybody. So to get his rifle, which is a dart gun, and to get his camouflage, uh, you have to hold him up or like kill him by, you know, tranquilizer rather than actually killing him. Uh, and so sneaking up behind him and using my dart pistol is the only way I knew how to do that. So that's how I've always beaten him. Um, after the first first time I beat him, I think that was a protracted sniper battle too. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. So if you if you kill him in the cutscene way earlier, like the first time you ever see him, he gets wheelchaired out, and after the cutscene is over, if you look off in the distance where the cutscene happened, you can see him getting wheelchaired around. If you snipe him, he will explode, and that's the end of it. You don't have to fight him. But when you go to that area later, it's a bunch of ocelot soldiers that are there, and so you can have a little stealth fight with them. It's like an alternate boss fight that isn't anywhere near as cool, but they do put something there. It's not just like an empty area. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think I could be done talking about three if there's nothing else you guys want to add. Um, I'll add one more thing. I couldn't, I could never be done talking about three, but uh, <laughs> um, the boss is probably my favorite. Uh, I don't know if it's my favorite boss fight anymore, but it has been often my favorite boss fight in the series and maybe in games. I love doing like the CQC duel with her. Like you use CQC throughout the game to throw and grab enemies and, uh, and knock them around. When you fight the boss, she's supposed to be the one that taught you CQC. So instead of just punching and kicking, she does. And you can do these cool counters on each other and like twist each other's arms around and stuff. And it's really fun and really dynamic. And it feels like, if you do stuff right, you feel great. And when she throws you down, she feels like such a badass. It's such a good fight. And then emotionally, of course, it's a huge deal, like fighting her at all. And then when you defeat her, it's a big a big deal. Um, I definitely cried, and that may be the first time I cried at the ending of the video game. Um, mm-hmm. But the this game cemented... So there's one character... Uh, besides some version of Snake that's in all these games, and this being a prequel, he's like 17 in this. Mm-hmm. This game solidified Ocelot as my favorite character in the series. Yeah, he, really. Ocelot is the first boss you fight in Metal Gear Solid 1. He survives to the end of it, even though you beat him. Um, he's the only bad guy or anybody really who lives in that game. And then in Metal Gear Solid 2, he's a main, main character. He's the one who runs away at the end and Snake goes after him. And then in MGS3, having not followed up that plot point, they go back into the past and you meet him as a young kid. He ends up having this rivalry that turns into this sort of bromance with Big Boss. And he just becomes so much more interesting a character. And then by 4, he's a big main character again. I love Ocelot, and he is, like, he's annoying and shitty in the first game, then he's interestingly shitty in the second game, and then in this one, I just love everything about him. Even his stupid, 
meow thing that he does to call his oh soldiers God, out. Yeah. It's so bad. But the fight that you have with him, the cool uh, gun yeah. duel, like all yeah. of his and, – and Big Boss teaching him to use a revolver, which is a big character trait when he's an older man. Um, and his eventual, like – he's in love with Big Boss at a certain point. Like he basically tells you when – when you lose your eye, when Big Boss loses his eye, and when you're being tortured and everything, and he reveals, like, hey, I really love torture, which is something that comes into play in MGS1 when he's an older guy. Like, those character developments happen. Uh, he is not into Eva, and they make a big deal out of it. He's like, I have no interest in this woman. Like, they make a big deal that Eva is super hot. She's like a Bond girl in this. She's got a bikini on most of the game. Uh, there's another bad guy, the big main villain, Volgan has like has sex with her and is a creep um i think it's hinted at that she and the boss get together she and snake definitely get together um but ocelot straight up is like nope not into you uh from the beginning and like i believe that there is subtext throughout the series that he is straight up through the course of this game becomes in love with big boss and stays that way um but that a lot of his attraction i think comes from the rivalry like that that's where he gets gratification uh, but anyway i fucking love ocelot and we didn't talk about him in this i love him in this game even after the final boss fight you get a final little mini duel with ocelot it's not a boss fight it's more of an interactive cutscene. Yeah, um yeah. it's phenomenal he is so good in this and both actors that play him uh uh this guy's josh keaton and then when he's older it's patrick uh not Lane. That's what he's misquoted as in MGS One. I'll think of it. Patrick Zimmerman. Anyway, mm-hmm. those guys kill it in every game, and uh, I just wanted—I want to call out how great Ocelot is in this game. Yeah, he's—he is great. I forgot about that little duel at the end. It does—it does kind of break up the like. Fuck! I just killed the best character. Right, right. And, then, and then you have yeah. like this awesome fight. Ending right after. after that is like the, this big information dump where like yeah. you get a scene with Eva, and then Eva tells you like the big twists and all the stuff, and it's just scene after scene. But so having that little mini duel with him really is a way to break it yeah. up. It also just like getting the stealth camouflage or the um, uh, bandana and MGS one, and being able to get some stuff like that in two. If you do the duel the right way in at the end of that, you get his revolver and it carries over to the beginning of the next playthrough. And then you've got this cool revolver that you can do like spinning revolver tricks in first person with snake, uh, which I always thought was like one of the most fun regular weapons in any of these games. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, the boss is like Patriot weapon and stuff. Also, I forgot that the boss is uh, Ocelot's mom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We didn't even talk about that. Oh, that's like one of the best twists ever. And it's a twist that you might get in the game. I didn't get it until my second playthrough. Mm -hmm. Because the only reason you find out about that is uh, there's a random conversation you can but don't need to have with Eva right before you fight the pain um, where she talks about Ocelot. And she basically just says, like, yeah, we don't know anything about him. We know his mom gave birth to him on a battlefield. And she just mentions that offhand and it's not in a main cutscene. it's not in anything you need to see um and i'm pretty sure i didn't see it on my first playthrough and then when you fight the boss she opens up her shirt and shows you this scar going down her chest and says that she gave birth on a battlefield and they had to cut her open like on in normandy or something and that's it that's enough to tell you these two things are related yeah um but otherwise you'd never know 
Absolutely, yeah. It's a cool, it's a cool reveal. All right. Uh, then let's move on to four real quick. Cool. Uh, Metal Gear Solid Four, which makes yes, which makes okay. the jump to PlayStation Three. Mm-hmm. They try to make a big deal out of it because PlayStation. I think Sony overpromised with the power of PlayStation Three. Yes, but I think that this game was super. Doesn't sound hyped. like a company. <laughs> um, I think I think this game was super hyped, and I think that Kojima was misled too from he was. the things that I read he what he really wanted to do was something really incredible and it was obvious that like he tried with the first two chapters because they're broken up into multiple chapters it's obvious that he was trying with those first two chapters and then kind of gave up and did something more manageable with the last three um but it was still interesting i think that uh four picks up the story from two we return to snake he is an old man now however everyone else looks relatively the same age. So it was kind of weird, but they explain it as, uh, he is a clone of big boss and he is, his cells are degenerating at an accelerated rate. Um, yeah. So he's only in his forties in this game, but he looks like a man of whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's an accelerated aging due to cloning like disease that they can't cure. Mm hmm. Um, so I forget like what his exact mission is in the game, like why he's doing this stuff other than like, I need to, I I know one of the subplots is I need to figure out what's going on with me and like Ocelot's being shitty again. Uh, Right. So, so this is an important plot development that we didn't talk about how silly and great it was in two, but in two with all the crazy twists and turns and like manipulation, uh, liquid snake is the bad guy in the first metal gear solid. And he is a clone brother of Snake, and you kill him. Snake kills him at the end of that game. Uh, and Ocelot lives and moves on. In Metal Gear Solid 2, the deal is that Ocelot, who lost his hand in the first game, has grafted Liquid Snake's dead arm onto his body, and Liquid Snake periodically possesses Ocelot. So Liquid Snake is still a character, even though he is dead. And Ocelot is his host body. And by the end of MGS2, he has taken him over completely. And that is who the villain of 4 is as a continuation of that. So it's Ocelot again, but he is liquid in his mind. Um, Mm -hmm. And so the main plot of 4, the mission of 4, is that they have finally, it's been a few years since 2, and they have tracked down Liquid. And Snake's mission is to assassinate Liquid. Yeah, okay, yeah. So that kind of kicks things off. And then there's this whole like secret weapon called the Guns of the Patriots. Um, it's a whole bunch of Metal Gear craziness. But the important thing, I think the thing that they nailed was they paid, if you played all the games, if you didn't play any Metal any Gear game. and you go in on four, you're fucked. Like, it's not yeah. a good game. It's, um, yeah, it's a good game. It's not a good story. Um, but Yeah, it's very as, much starting with loose ends. Mm-hmm as a uh, wrap-up to 10 years of gaming and yeah. story, it's great. Like, it, it's, it pays off so well. I love where Snake ended up. I love where all the stories went. I liked the bosses from a visual standpoint and the fact that they call back to a lot of the bosses from the first game. Mm-hmm. Um, not the coolest, like, lore setup for them at all. But it just kind of felt like a thing to show off the tech that they were trying to use, the photorealistic yeah. engine they were going for. Um, but yeah, technically it was fun. The Octocamo was awesome. The cinematography against up a notch because Kojima keeps getting better at this type of stuff. Um, I 
like the story and I like parts of it. I don't think the game holds. I think the game holds together the least well out of all five of them. Um, as a whole, just with the whole like downloading chapters, I know they got rid of that and then and a patch later yeah, on. Yeah, really. that was a while though. That was years before they did that. It was clunky to play. Um, the chapters had no real cohesiveness. Um, the first two chapters feel samey, just different uh, environments. The third chapter plays completely differently, which I'm not like against, but again, the, the fact that you had to like load these things in and. Uh, go through all that and then the the last two chapters are fucking awesome uh and it had like a a metagame where you're selling stuff and buying weapons and there's all kinds of cool stuff they tried in that game i just don't think it's as memorable all the way through as all the other games however the ending they nail um and all the payoffs for all the story beats are great yeah Yeah. uh that's why you said that i I don't think that everybody agrees, but I'm, I've got a lot of love for four. Go ahead, Sam. I'll, I'll... I was going to say four, I, th- I think is my second favorite. When I decided on my favorite metal gear, I'm between three and four. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's for those same reasons. Um, it's the same reason I think Harry Potter seven is the best book. I was specifically going to compare it to Harry Potter. Seven. <laughs> um, it, it pays off. And I don't just in case like, I'm not going to say any Harry Potter spoileries here or anything, but, uh, I it's it's just has so much payoff. You've been with these people, these characters, and with these stories for so long, and there's a lot of questions. And most things don't pay off that well. Um, but I thought MGS4 paid off so fucking well that it was just so satisfying to play through. Um, and that was a game I I picked up on launch and played uh, on. Whose PS3 did I have? It wasn't mine. I lived out here. We lived together. Was it yours? We were playing it. Yeah. Did we so did we take turns then? Yeah. Weird. So I guess I didn't buy it on launch, you bought it on launch. And then, <laughs> so the worst part uh, of that would be constantly reloading chapters if one of yeah. them is behind. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it ended up being remember. fine. I don't remember it being crazy. Yeah, I don't, I, like that. I don't remember having to wait a bunch or anything. Um but uh but yeah, I I loved like MGS three takes place in the sixties and it, it was super fucking fun. But part of taking a game that takes place in the two thousands and bringing it back to the sixties means like you're using lo- everything is low tech. Um, and it's like, you still get to do some cool shit, but a lot of the innovation of the game was with like CQC and it was with the camo and stuff like that, but it was all low tech. And so it was really fun for the next, for the follow up to be, in like in the future like i love yeah chronologically it's like the most futury of all of them yeah um and so you got the best weapons like the octo camo keith mentioned earlier was like instead of having to pick whichever camo would give you the best thing in the moment out of your menu of camo you collected you would literally go up against the surface wait a second and your camo would change um and if i recall you could save camos yeah. right you had like a certain yeah. amount you could save yeah um, once again list. i would always you know cutscenes coming up i'd put on my favorite octo camo <laughs> yeah um, and like and i remember there were a couple you could only get in a few places and so it was like really satisfying to have these like rare ones like those are the ones you'd save as something you couldn't find anywhere else um but yeah the octo camo was super fun like it just had some really fucking fun mechanics. Um, I also love the, it was the only time in history that JW and I at one point were at the exact same point in Metal Gear. 
Um, yeah, I remember talking to you, and we both were like tiptoeing around where we were, and then we realized we'd both just watched the same cutscene. Um, and it's probably like, was it where Ocelot does the finger guns, the finger yeah, guns, yeah. guns of the Patriots scene? Yeah, <laughs> that's like right before Act Three or something, or at the yeah. End but of- that's like it was a little bit into the game. It wasn't like we were both starting; like we had right. both played a significant chunk of the game, and we're at the same point. And so we got to just talk about it and wonder what was going to happen. And that had never been the case for me. I had always played these games after you or you blasted ahead so quickly that every time I talked to you, you were talking to me from memory. You were talking to me about, oh, I remember when I was there. Here's how I felt then. Right. This got got to be a real like, holy shit, can you believe this? Can you believe this? Like, And that was really cool. I, I liked that aspect of it. Um, and then I think you did blast ahead. But it was That's cool sure. that we, we got that for a conversation we got to like we're at the exact same spot um but um yes i i just think that game was so fucking fun um and it did yeah it just i think satisfying is the best way to put it whereas like when i think of mgs3 i think of like just really fucking fun gameplay and a really cool story and just like loving the characters when i think of 4 i just think of like just grinning ear to ear the whole time because I'm fucking learning this shit I've been wondering about for, you know, a decade and I've been, and I'm like playing the most technically impressive Metal Gear I've ever played. And it's just like, it just was, I felt so satisfied the whole process. Um, every time you run into like, when you run into Meryl and her crew and you run in like Otacon and then in Metal Gear Mark two, like there was just so much, so much cool shit. I have so many like, just positive feelings from playing that game. I remember there was a girl I had a crush on. Meryl and the Rat Pack? Yeah, the Rat Pack was awesome. Rat uh, Patrol Team Zero One. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love uh, those guys. I had a crush on this girl, and uh, she played Ultimate Frisbee, and we like were playing Ultimate, like the, the Summer League game, and I knew I was about to beat the game. And she was like, hey, what are you up to? Uh, like we're gonna go hang out at my house, and I said no. I was like, nope, <laughs> I gotta go. I was like, I have to go beat a video game, uh, and I did. I went home and I beat it, and I think I probably cried at the end of MGS four too. And uh, I definitely did. And uh, I never dated that girl. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, that was how into that fucking game I was, and I, I was pretty into this girl, and I was just like, no. Nope. I'm busy. I got shit to do. <laughs> yeah, I've got to see what happens. Oh, another, like, yeah, that, that game just, like, it, it had so much fan service, but it never felt over the top to me. Like, I love the fact that you get to uh, be in Metal Gear Rex and fight Metal Gear Ray. Um, oh, God, yeah. Like, that's how fucking cool is that? The Which, ultimate, before you never got to be in a Metal Gear. Yeah, the ultimate killing machine the ultimate threat of Metal Gear Solid 1 is just a, a, a it's a thing you get to fucking fight with at the end of this game. Yes. Um, such cool shit like that. Like it I just think the game like, has so much of that. It was also like you just went through all of Shadow Moses pretty much. You just played the one chapter is basically Metal Gear 1. Yeah. Uh, and you just went through all of Shadow Moses. It's all this nostalgia and you get to the point in the game where you fought Metal Gear Rex in the original game and you get to like run in, jump in and pilot it. And they let you do some awesome stuff in it. Uh, yeah, that there's lots of really a great... street fighter program. 
That's what Ocelot says. He's like, I added a Street Fighter program so he can punch and kick. And this is like, all right, man. That's great. Yeah, yeah the, the, the back half of the game is, is just loaded with really great payoffs for longstanding fans of the game. So that's okay. Can I, I'm, are you guys ready? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so I love four. I fucking love it, and I think it gets a lot of shit. And some of it I get, and it's deserved. But I, I, what I think about it is that as a game, I think it's just really fun to play. I agree. All the systems that they added, like upgrading the camo system from the previous game, which was like lists of stuff, and you're like selecting out of a menu. Mm-hmm. Changing that to the Octo Camo, which was much more active and like used the graphical power of the system, like really cool. And then the the premise or the way that they sold the game was that you were going to be instead of you know here's all these bases you were sneaking into in the previous games, and then bam, you had the jungle in three, four. The whole thing was that it was stealth on a battlefield, and so you'd have two sides fighting, shooting each other. There's like artillery going off, and then Snake is like sneaking down the middle of the battlefield like trying to get behind everybody and that is what those first two acts play like and then immediately yes yeah, th- the third act so it's a five chapter game the third act is you in a like a european town it feels very french or something like shadowing and following people around while you're like in a trench coat and just like walking through the city streets um at night and it's couldn't be more different than the previous acts uh what that game is though like each of those acts feels different but as a story it is the ending of a huge series and the idea that you would pick up that game uh caring about the story at all and not knowing being like this is my first metal gear game i think i'll pick up the last one is like watching return of the jedi and being like i don't get it why did i care that uh he said he was his dad and like why do i care that uh, they're excited that their brother and sister like none of this makes any sense to me. It's bad. It's like fuck you. <laughs> if you don't care about this, why did you bother? And to me, it is. It's the same as like starting the Harry Potter books with seven and then being pissed that it wasn't all explained to you. Is sort of how I get a lot of the uh, criticism for four, like what it feels like. Um, but the way that it's paced is weird on its own. But if you look at it as an ending to the series, it makes perfect sense because like the first act of the game you go hunting liquid and he is like Ocelot has been taken over by liquid liquid is the villain and he is through the whole thing. But for that first act, it's liquid. It's snake and Otacon as buddies. You hook up with Roy Campbell. Who's the Colonel uh, from the first game. You meet up with Merrill and Johnny and their partners. And that's the plot of the first act revolves around those people. It's MGS one. The first act is a sequel to MGS one. Then after you finish that part, uh, those characters still exist, mostly like they show up near the end, but you go into another country and Act 2 happens, and the boss of the level is this octopus chick uh, who has tentacles like Solidus Snake. You meet up with Raiden and you talk to Rose on the uh, on the codec, and Vamp is in a bunch of the cutscenes, and he and Raiden have it out. It's a sequel. The whole Act 2 plot is a sequel to MGS2, and it follows up those characters. Then you get to Act 3, and it's this weird, stealthy level, uh, and then you meet up with old Eva, and she tells you what happened to Big Boss, what happened to Major Zero, Paramedic and Sigint, and it's a sequel to MGS3 for that whole act. Uh, and then when you get to 4, like they basically now, bam, you've gotten 1, 2, and 3. Act 4 is pure 
here's a bunch of fun nostalgia. They take you back to Shadow Moses. You get to at the end of the act, you get to control a Metal Gear and fight the Metal Gear from Metal Gear Solid Two. It's so much fun. Um, and then they start to fold in stuff. You get the end of Vamp there, and Raiden shows up, and it's sort of the end of Raiden for a little while. And then the final act is another big infiltration in a war zone, but it's just soldiers after you um, on Arsenal gear, and then you get the final boss fight of the one character that's been in every game so far, which is Ocelot and Liquid. And that boss fight, I love the boss, and as a character, she's great. But Liquid, like Ocelot's my favorite character, and that final boss fight is a culmination of all of the boss fights of the previous games because you do each one with its music from the boss fight like you fight liquid ocelot like you fought liquid in the first game including the same graphics for the life bars the same music and then it goes into an mgs2 it goes into like the solidus music and you fight with those life bars then you fight uh with the boss's life bar and music from MGS3, and then it turns into a new boss fight with like the most dynamic hand-to-hand fighting, uh, and it's it's this build-up from the first boss of MGS1 is Ocelot all the way to the last boss of four, and it's so fucking fun. And like, as much as I had emotional reactions to the boss, I think having this be the end of everything, I had even more emotional reaction to the end of this game and to fighting so... uh, Liquid Ocelot. I want to add on to that real quick before yeah. you say it, because I've been wanting to say this. Yeah, yeah. I've been I hoping to say this all the time. You got um, it. I'll hold back. <laughs> this is my absolute favorite moment of the Metal Gear series, is not just that fight, but there's a moment in that fight. There are these little, like, EpiPens in the game. It's after uh, the third life bar. Like, it's after you do each right, of the right. MGS 1, uh, 2, 3 fights. The, the game has these little EpiPens that, like, give you health and stamina and stuff. And uh, there's a moment in that fight where both Snake and uh, Liquid slash Liquid Ocelot, they fall to their knees and they both pull out an EpiPen to give themselves health and they hit each other in the neck because this is like just as big of a moment for them as it is for us playing these games. It's like they fucking power up each other for the sake of this fight. And I just remember that, like that in itself almost brought me to tears. I think just uh-huh. like, Holy shit. It's such an incredible fight. And then that moment, that cutscene of like, we're both about to collapse and it's not like, I got to get myself juice. Like I just, that, that instant is my single favorite moment in the whole series. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's up there for me. And it really is. Even after replaying it years later, it really like gets my heart racing and like I can feel like I don't cry, but I can feel like welling up behind my eyes. Like I get emotional watching that whole thing. It's so fucking cool. It's such a good culmination. If you love these characters, I can't imagine giving a shit about any of it. If it was the first one that I'd played, like it's, you could understand that the production values were good and that like, something was being well realized but i just don't think you could care about any of it if you didn't already um so in that sense it's not well paced but as the final chapter of a big story which is what it is like you know i don't expect people to go i've seen one star wars movie it was return of the jedi i don't like star wars that much okay you i understand that same thing if somebody read harry potter 7 
you can't judge the series on that or think that you've gotten what you need to out of it. MGS4 is not a good standalone game, but it's a good video game, and it's a phenomenal ending to the series. Yeah, uh, and yeah. then once the boss fight is over, you get your info dump of this is here's how we'll do our final bit of twist. And then they give you cutscenes for each of those characters. You get Meryl and Johnny get their ending, and then uh, Raiden and Rose and their kid get their ending, and then uh, I can't remember if anything happens MGS3 wise. I guess not. Everybody by then is dead. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then uh, and then you get Snake and Otacon and their whole ending. And then oh, that's not true. You do get the final final reveal at yeah, the graveyard. Yeah. And that is the MGS3 ending, actually, which is also yeah. the big ending for the whole series. So that's, yeah. Um, but each of those things, like, I was so satisfied at the end of 4. I loved it. Yeah. Um, as a story, it it's such a good culmination for everybody and everything um, in the series. And then I just had a blast playing every part of it. I actually really like, because of how long the game is and how much story is in it, as weirdly paced as those chapters are, each one of them to me feels like its own little mini game. So it doesn't bother me that like act three feels so different from one and two. And especially because act three is almost like a, as far as gameplay goes, it's like a break because you have those sneaking through the battlefield twice. And then you get this like break, this like, okay, I'm just going to like do some stealth for a while. And then it's like, bam, metal gear fight after you go through shadow Moses and then bam, like all the frogs and liquid ocelot, like it's, I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I was I was extremely satisfied with four and have never gotten why it gets so much hate. I didn't really know it did actually. I've oh yeah, well, it. and I, you know, I'm not part of any communities. I don't talk on websites or anything. But I, for years, because of like new games would be coming out, and you you'd want to see like you know what's Kojima up to what are the theories like I've been on a million websites and message boards and I've never seen a group that hates something more than the like diehard fans of Metal Gear hate Metal Gear Kojima (laughs) like they just (laughs) bitch and bitch and bitch about every aspect of the series they're like it's I really you know they're all been downhill since MGS1 well I hate MGS1 because it retconned Metal Gear 2 I hate Metal Gear 2 because it retconned Metal Gear 1 on the MSX it's just like Jesus Christ (laughs) but MGS4 gets the most hate out of all of them Um, it's just and it's a lot of people bitching about fan service as a negative which I get it. I mean, I get that fanboys and fandom and fan service are all these negative terms. I've never gotten the fan service one because, like, I'm absolutely the fan that was being serviced with MGS4. Like, that's what I wanted as a fan. So, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I feel you. I I just remember pacing. Being, I I remember those first two chapters, just the pacing of them feeling off and. Just overall, the game not having a cohesive through line through all the chapters of like, it feels weird. Like to me, one and two feel like a different game from three, and mm-hmm. that feels like a different game from four and five. Um, yeah. Even though I know they're in the same game, there's just something off about it. So I think that it's a great game, and I love it for sure. Um, I don't think it deserves a 10, which is what it like, I think IGN at the time gave it. Like a lot of people were giving it. Uh, the perfect scores. I don't think it's a perfect game. I think it's a perfect game if you love Metal Gear for sure. Um, but as a game, like obje- objectively outside of loving it, um, I don't think it's as good as people made it out to be. But 
Yeah, I love I love four and that moment at the end with the fight. You got that, pretty quiet, Keith. I was, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm I won't be on the recording, but uh, okay, I'm, I keep fiddling keep with like my microphone for some reason. Um, as the end moment of that, at the end, yeah, the moment at the end where you're fighting uh, Liquid and that, like you guys said, the whole culmination of all the games. If you played all of them, it's a fucking incredible moment. I don't think a, a, there'll be another moment in games that can be replicated like that because there's not an, another long-standing series that is in love with itself as much as the fans are in love with it. Yeah. Um, and and like and the like EpiPen stabby part is is just something that. Yeah, it sends goosebumps up my arm yeah. as I'm thinking yes. about it. Yes, absolutely. Um, so yeah, a lot of love for four for sure. And like the octo camo thing was just incredible. I, I'll never forget the part where you can octo camo as a statue, and if you do yeah. it for too long, yeah. Snake breaks the dick off of one of the statues that he's trying to like <laughs> yeah. uh, imitate. And then I think he like tries to like put it back and then just drops it at a certain point. Yeah, yeah, I love that moment. Yeah. Little things like that are Metal Gear, as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah, all the jokey stuff mixed in with how, like, it may, we're not talking so much about the jokey stuff because we're talking about the emotions and, like, gameplay. Mm-hmm. But these games are full of jokes and full yeah. of, like, with the fourth wall breaking in some of the gameplay, like, there's a lot of humor and a lot of, some of it's very juvenile. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, a lot it's not of even clever jokes humor. and things like that. But there is clever humor, and there's yeah. humor that, hits you because you're a player in a way that like if you were like it's there's a lot of specific uh tongue-in-cheek silly stuff um Mm -hmm. that that really helps make the series feel fun even when it's trying to be really serious um yeah i was gonna say that a lot of my forgiveness i think of for that i choose not to judge it as a standalone because i don't think it could have been made as a standalone like it is a so each of his games thematically he came at it as a piece of art and i think he's always been torn like as i watch kojima and read about him and read interviews with him and see the drama with konami recently like in the last few years he has always seemed torn between being an artist and being a uh like basically a director for hire mm-hmm. where he He's doing work that he's being paid for that he's like, this is a commercial product and I need sales and I need this. And then on top of that, he's like, I want to talk about nuclear proliferation as a Japanese man who grew up in the 50s and 60s. And then this is what I think about genetics and this is what I think about this. He has these specific things he wants to say in each game, but then he also has sort of the other people he's beholden to, whether it's his bosses. By MGS4, he was very beholden uh, to the fans and to like the death threats that he was getting and his like I want to be done with Metal Gear feeling and then being like yeah but this is my job I have to do this so what's interesting to me and one of the things that the series gets shit on for a lot with uber nerds who want everything to be somehow perfect over the course of years and years that people are making stuff it's sort of like Star Wars uh, and throwing in prequels and then doing sequels and everything to be perfect Um each of these games was made with the idea that it was going to be the last one. So even like MGS2 with its crazy cliffhangers, all of that stuff served thematically the ideas that he wanted to put. Uh, And so the idea that he had more story that he just hadn't told yet that he wanted to tell is garbage. He is writing each of these as a singular piece of work 
without thinking what comes next. He will think about that when he's like, all right, next I want to tell a story about uh, who, and like in three, um, today's good could be tomorrow's evil, like that everything is based on the yeah. time you live in and the choices that you make. And so even if Snake, Naked Snake in that game is our hero and he's working for the top brass and being manipulated and doing all the good guy stuff, we know eventually he's going to become Big Boss who at least the world sees as this crazy villain. Is he or isn't he? It's all based on the times he lives in and the uh, and the perspective of the other people around him. And so that storyline doesn't fit at all with MGS2. Like that's an entirely different theme. Um, and so the idea that he would follow up to and like try to tie up the plot doesn't make any sense if that's the story he wants to tell. Uh, but with four, four feels very much to me like everybody is begging me for these specific answers. I need to tell them what happens next and end it. And so four is so hard for me to judge as its own thing, as opposed to being a, like, this is an ending for these other storylines that are all sort of each their own thing and have retconned each other and all this stuff. I can't believe how well it turned out in terms of like tying up loose ends and stuff, Mm -hmm. given all that. But I don't think it can ever like really be judged as like a standalone because it couldn't have existed that way. And he never would have made it. Um, I don't think he would have made any of the choices he made with four, except maybe gameplay, except that he needed to tie up loose ends. And that's what the game was for. And I think it did it. But uh, but it's really hard. Like I couldn't have ever played it without having ten years of metal ready, and so I can't I can't think of it that way. Whereas, yeah, almost any other game, even the other Metal Gears, are much easier to judge on their own. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't think we should get into as much as we should, but I'm not. I don't think we really should get into Peace Walker and uh, Five because Sam hasn't played Five, and they're, yeah, they they are actually gonna say maybe i could say some final words and bow out and then you guys could get in a little more detail like um yeah i was gonna say that and because i assumed then we'd be kind of done yeah uh well i guess that makes sense then Uh, yeah i I don't i'm okay kind of ending things here like i wouldn't mind saying a word or two about the portable ones and then moving on just being done um i think the I, i have some positive things to say but if i have any negativity toward the series it's mostly aimed at five um and i think i'm happy with the idea that like one through four are so uh solid um that the stuff that the problems that i have with some of the other ones um don't have to enter into it like i I like all the metal gear games but one through four are my favorites they're the ones that i love 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 and the ones that for like a 30th anniversary, I want to celebrate those. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't, you know, I'll replay peace Walker and five and portable ops less probably than one, two, three, and four forever. Yeah. 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 Uh, favorite metal gear moment, Sam, you already said yours. I said that, but I have a, a second favorite. Okay. Um, but I've said mine. So why don't you guys do your favorites and then I can chime in. Jado. Um, I, we've probably covered mine. Um, it's like the Ocelot duel and the f- fight with the boss at the end of three, and then definitely the liquid Ocelot boss fight. Um, and that includes Sam's uh, syringe moment. Like all of that stuff is just, those are the parts that 
I think I'll remember forever, like the single moment. But I, I don't know. All of these games are so fucking great. <laughs> There's so many yeah. individual moments. Psychomantis, like I don't know. It's it's hard to narrow down. Ooh, I think my all-time favorite moment is in three. Uh, one thing we didn't mention is that in the cutscenes, there are a lot of chances to view the cutscene in first person, and the game would prompt it by telling you, they would, like, it would have the button on the top mm-hmm. of the screen, and it would say, this is a moment, press this to look at it from Snake's perspective. There's a few, there's a handful of secret moments to do this, where you can hold the first person button, and it's not telling you to, and one of them is after you've killed the boss, and... Yeah. Uh, it's a moment where the horse, her horse comes up, knows that she's dead and lets out this like uh, a neigh that's kind of like a crying moment. Uh, and if you hold the first person button, you can see the ghost of the sorrow and the boss who were, or sorry, her name is the joy. Uh, yeah. But they're together and they, they, uh, Ocelot is their kid, presumably. Um, yeah. And it's a, it's a nice, sweet moment bittersweet moment right after a really great moment yeah yeah that is that part is really cool Um, and that's if you if you do those first person scenes throughout the game there's times where you can catch the ghost of the sorrow Um, yeah Mm -hmm. and i always thought that was really neat yeah there's a uh there's a part where there's a bomb that's gonna go off while you're having a fist fight with uh volgan the big main villain and you're trapped in this little room with him Mm -hmm. and if you go into first person during some of the scenes, you can see the sorrow holding a, uh, like a countdown clock. <laughs> He's just like floating around as a ghost holding this, uh, board basically that has a countdown on it. Yeah. Uh, it's really funny. My favorite one of those that isn't serious at all is that at, during the ending ending, when snake is getting, uh, recognized by president Lyndon Johnson and, uh, <laughs> and the army chief of staff, uh, he's shaking the president's hand and you can look in through snake's eyes and you look out the, I don't think it's the oval office, but he's in like, you know, some big important room. Yeah, uh, yeah. you look out the window behind president Johnson and Ocelot shows up out there and does his little finger guns thing at you like, hey. <laughs> like there's, there's so fucking funny. Ocelot roam around the grounds of the White House. Yeah, he's just like hanging out out there. Oh, I love it. It doesn't make any logical sense. It's really funny. Um, yeah. yeah, there's MGS3. Gosh, it really is hard to say that any of those games are better than 3. Yeah, Got all that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as, as that one is one that stands alone so well. Like, I do think it's better like all the philosophers stuff only makes sense or matters if you have played two and want to know what's up with the Patriots, but everything else in that game works fine. If it was the first one you played, you could like get into it and then later like start putting pieces together Four, I don't get it. I don't get people that played four and were like, there are people who played four and were like, that was great. I really liked it. (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) How did you understand any of that? Um, But yeah, three, I think my favorite moment in all of the Metal Gear series is your solid three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to say my favorite, like the, the syringes is my favorite, like real moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite, just fucking cool Metal Gear moment is uh, as we mentioned earlier, and I keep feeling the need to explain this to people, but who the fuck is going to listen to this? <laughs> I don't like, I don't We're, we're almost, I think at three hours. Yeah. Um, uh, like I don't believe that we are going to have a listener at this point in the podcast. Um, 
and it'd be cool if we did, but I just don't. I don't I'll give a shout out shit. just in case she's still here. I'll give a shout out to Sean Farrell. Yeah, Sean. I think she could. She could do it. I don't know how interested she'd actually be in this, but she may just have it on in the background while she's doing other shit. Maybe. Well, I love you. I love you, Sean. Yeah, me too. You My girlfriend too, listens right? to every one of yeah. these all the way through, so I love you, Adriana. Oh, hey, Adriana. Hi. Well, the, you too. Uh, I'll, yeah. I I'll like go it. ahead and keep. I will work on the love part. Oh, yeah, <laughs> we gotta, we, it takes time. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> um, I okay. So as we mentioned earlier, Metal Gear Solid Three. Uh, the opening has this amazing James Bond style song. Yes, um, super fucking good song. It's just I was gonna mention it a couple times, but didn't want to interrupt. Singing, um, yeah. Someday you go through the rain. rain, like it's, but it's it's like a legitimately fucking great song. I can listen to it anytime and love it. Um, so a favorite moment from the series is there's one point where you're working your way up these cliffs of the of in this game. You're trying to get to the top of these cliffs, and uh, you start climbing up a ladder in an underground tunnel, and the ladder is right so after fucking fighting long. the end. It's the next thing you do after fighting the end. You climb up this ladder for minutes, like genuine minutes, and they just play that song while you're climbing up this super long ladder. And that, that's such a just like, it's the same sort of touch as Snake Screaming with the M60. It's like, they didn't have to do that. They could have had a cut scene. They could have had Snake start to climb, cut, and open with him getting out of the thing. They could have done a yeah. bunch of different stuff. But there is just a specific thing that shouldn't have been that great, but was. was yep. So I love that moment. I well, remember song, being so the excited. The song during that is a cappella, too. So it's kind of like as silly a song, James Bondy as it is, it's kind of haunting. Uh but it's just great. Yeah, it works in a way well, that it really should. Like, it's just it, it's what Big Boss is singing to himself while he's climbing up the ladder. Right? <laughs> like, yeah, that's. I've always I've always joked around with like Harris and stuff that it's uh, that the ladder is like the unsung member of the Cobra unit. That you have the the joy and the sorrow and the fury and the fear and the pain and the ladder, mm-hmm. and it's like the one that you don't really beat. You just get to go up there. Yep. The ladder's going to come back in MGS six. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the yeah I, that's that's my my less serious favorite moment. That's a pretty I, good one. I think that's a legitimately great moment. Mm-hmm. It's true. I guess so. There's one more question. Um, favorite gag. Ooh. Uh, I don't know yeah. if I have one off the top of my head. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, either. I I automatically. I mean, I already thought of the ocelot through the window gag, which is just great. Yeah. But, well, you know what I love in the same vein is when it doesn't make any goddamn sense how stupid it is, but it's right at the end of Act 3. No, 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 it's not. It's at the end of Act 4 in MGS4 uh, after you fight ocelot in the Metal Gears and you beat up Ray, He jumps out of Ray, and then Snake starts to have, like, a heart attack or whatever. He starts to have, like, one of his problems that he needs a syringe for. And while he's on the ground trying to syringe himself, Ocelot jumps out of the cockpit of Metal Gear and starts running away, and he starts running backwards, facing Snake, and going, (laughs) and pointing at him like a cartoon. He's, like, snidely whiplash (laughs) in this one moment. And he's just making these crazy faces and, like, pointing his fingers in crazy directions. And it is silly as shit. And it like doesn't work at all, and so it works really well. <laughs> yeah, I love that moment. 
Um, my favorite gag moment is, I don't know if it could be considered a gag, but, um, it's in two. And I did this every time, even though it amounts to absolutely nothing. When you make it to the end of the tanker, if you sneak around a certain way and you're at a metal gear ray and you look at it in first person, uh, Ocelot is there. And then if you go out of first person and look again, he's gone and there's a cue that plays, a musical cue that, that it's like a real tension building cue. It's like, yeah, it's oh, like a he disappeared. Yeah, he he was there and he disappeared like a ghost. Um, that was one of my favorites. That uh, like I never, no one ever told me you could do that. I just happened upon it one day. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, I didn't know Ocelot was here. It's while this colonel is like delivering this huge speech. Well, and it's then, right before Ocelot shows up in the cutscene and takes Ray. So it's like this, if you don't already know he's there, like if you somehow, the first time you ever played it, happened across that, it's this clue that Ocelot is hiding there and is about to take Ray and like yeah. destroy the tanker. It's fucking cool. Yeah. Um, the first one that comes to mind for me, just because I love little shit like this, especially in a game that has to be this this tiniest side of a joke had to be voice acted and animated and programmed. Um, and it was in, also in MGS2 when uh, I, I might fuck up the moment, but Snake's basically talking to, I think, Otacon, and he's, he tells him, he's like, go over to that node. He goes, did you say nerd? <laughs> he goes, no, <laughs> no. Like, it's just, why do they do that? Like, why it's, is that uh... being a script? It's yeah. Well, so okay. Again, this is a translation issue, I think. But it was the colonel talking to Ryden at the very oh, beginning okay. of Ryden's chapter, because um, it's the you sign into what they call nodes in order to like get map data and like it's how you put in your name and birthday, which they give to you on the dog tags at the end of the game. Um, but each new area you get to as Ryden, you like electrocute yourself, and it's like you get this biometric data that gives you maps and shows you like the enemy's uh, vision cones and all that shit. Uh, but yeah, so he he goes okay, Raiden, you're going to go need to like put your hand on the node. And he goes, did you say nerd? Not nerd. Node. And then they just move on. Yeah. But in Japan, if they said that in English, they would say uh, you know, Raiden this uh, you're, you're going to need to use a nodo. And then he'd be like, did you say nodo? Like, that's how they would say nerd is nodo versus nodo. And so it does sound similar as opposed to English where it's like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Right. Um, so I'm sure that that's... Similar, it's just an absurd, like, why write that in? It is dumb. It's super silly. Yeah. Yeah. Why make a joke about the word nerd when it's not actually, like, related to anything else in the dialogue or the scene? Yeah, yeah, it's fucking silly. Um, oh, this is a great gag that you just reminded me of because in that scene, so that's oh, well, right. Well. That's right when Raiden gets onto the big shell. It's like in the first room or the second room. Um, in the first room that you like swim up and you're still in the like mask and stuff before it's been revealed that you're not Snake, even though this guy looks and sounds a little different. What's going on here? Um, there's a secret room like in this like great cage that's in the area that you just swam up from 
um, that you can like hang. You can flip over this ledge, and if you use the hanging mechanic, you can like sidle over and drop down. And there's a secret item that you can only find in this one spot called the shaver. And Snake in MGS2, starting in MGS2, has like a crusty beard and mustache instead of being clean shaven and like James Bondy like he was in Metal Gear Solid One. And when you first meet up with Pliskin, uh, if you have found that, there's a special little scene where uh, Raiden gives it to him. He goes, here, I found this. You can use it. And the next time you see Snake, he's clean shaven. And for the rest of the game, he has no beard. I like that. Yeah, it's just a silly, stupid little thing. And it's them making fun of his beard. I think this. <laughs> Favorite boss or boss fight? probably the end just just from a fun like i thought fighting the end was so much fun i in almost any game i i often don't like boss fights mm-hmm. um i feel like they're because usually i like a game because i like what the game is i like playing the game mm-hmm. and the boss fights are not the way the normal game plays in most games it's like you yeah. do all of this you spend all your time working one way and then you have to do something like specifically different for a minute and then you go back to the thing you already like um and that's you know this is a very broad statement that does not apply to everything but in general it's like i don't play through a mario game so that i can try to jump on a uh one of the you know koopa links three times like that's just i honestly in my head it's like a it's a chore i have to get through to finish the castle yeah um, whereas the platforming is the actual fun part. So I feel that way even about Metal Gear bosses sometimes. Like, I like them and stuff, but it's still, they're so specific that it kind of takes away from what I like. But I love the end. I think part of that is because you get to sort of play that fight how you want, just like Metal Gear. Jada? Um, I won't say Liquid Ocelot or the boss or Psychomantis because. They probably are technically my favorite fights in there, but we talked about them ad nauseum. Um, I love boss fights in games. I feel the exact opposite. Like, it's not... I get what you're saying, and I do think boss fights can be bad, um, and they can definitely yank you out of a fun game if they're the bad boss fights. Uh, And Metal Gear has its share of, like, forgettable ones. Um, I think, like, the Ocelot group fights that you can get into um, are a lot less fun than, like, the individual fights against uh, Ocelot or the end. Like, I would almost never do that end thing to see it once. Um, They're just not anywhere near as dynamic or fun. But when boss fights use the mechanics of a game really well, uh, or, like, give you a sandbox to do a thing that you can do, but you haven't really, like, you are given sniper rifles and the ability to use them throughout Metal Gear Solid 3, but until you have that like here's a sniper you can fight and a big arena to make it work like you have to kind of force a situation where you're going to use your sniper rifle on somebody before that and so giving you sort of the here's the mechanics we already gave you use them to figure out how to beat this guy i think is really fun um i think metal gear does that better than a lot of so um if not those guys and I, in general, I like all the final boss fights. Like I like doing the sword fight stuff against Solidus, but I prefer like the boss and Liquid Ocelot for that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Psychomantis is one of those ones that shouldn't work because it rips you out. The whole point is, hey, none of these mechanics are working. He's dodging every bullet I'm shooting at him. This is frustrating. And then you have to, you know, switch the control. But that one does work well. Um, man, I don't know. Uh, I really like, as much as the storyline and, like, the boss characters aren't very good in MGS4, I really like the... Um, laughing octopus fight the first fight against the beauty and the beast unit yeah where she is camoing all around this like little cabin that you're in uh Mm -hmm. she's using the octo camo to like become a statue here or like hide in a painting over here and you have to like find her through different clues or just like having good eyesight and paying attention um but she surprises you all over the place it's this fun sort of stealthy thing like you can hide from her some but she hides from you the whole time it's a it's a really fun short fight yeah my favorite boss character and fight in all the games is fat man that's really? right i love fat man is it because you love to laugh and grow fat that's <laughs> uh, yeah it's the greatest uh greatest villain line delivered in all the games <laughs> He's also a guy that just kind of comes out of nowhere and doesn't really have... Uh, and goes nowhere. He has no consequence on the story of that game. Like, the boss no. fight's fun, and then there's a whole mechanic where you, there's, like, a ticking time bomb aspect to after he's after you've beaten him. Um, but, yeah, he's just so weird. Just cool idea for a boss, but his character story doesn't play out into the game really that much no um, that's again where you see how much better foxhound is than pretty much every other game yeah i still i still love him though like i yeah. genuinely love that character i think he's silly in all of the right ways uh his voice acting is perfect for what that character looks like and acts like yeah yeah he's great what about the fury not the fury um who's the one that uses the bees <laughs> the, the pain, the pain. Tommy guy, Tommy guy, <laughs> grenade. grenade. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What does he say? Bullet bees? Does he yell bullet bees, or do they just call him that? I think, I think he yells call it. Him that. He does. I mean it, that I one. Yeah, I don't have confidence. Um, yeah, I can't remember if it's just like somebody on the radio that tells you like look out for his bullet bees or if he actually yells like bullet bees because <laughs> he spits them. I don't think he can yell it because they're in his mouth and he spits them out. Oh, it's yeah. so silly. Yeah. yeah it's that great. one I don't love because he's removed from you. He's just like sitting on a, or like standing on like a platform that you can't reach. And so it's yeah. just you like swimming around trying to dodge the bees and hit him every once in a while. Um, bees. It's a, it's a silly fucking fight. Okay. I think we can end it here. Yeah. Okay. I, say, I, I like Peace Walker. I actually really like Portable Ops' story, but I don't mm-hmm. think that gets its due. Yeah. Um, but yeah, five was like half a game, so I loved what was there, but mm-hmm. it's a huge bummer. It's a bummer that it was the end of all Metal Gear. Yeah. I love to, I want to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Metal Gear, but I also feel it's melancholy because the 25th anniversary was still like, we had more Metal Gear, and I feel like it's over. So it is, it is over. It was a great thirty years of games. It's probably my favorite single series. But uh, yeah, here's to here's to you, Nicola here's and Bart. To you. Thank you, Kojima. Yeah, thanks. Here's here's to you. That's I'm excited about uh, Death Stranding. That's how I'll celebrate Metal Gear. I'm excited about Death yeah. Stranding. 
and I'm excited to see what Kojima does. I know he's still technically doing like work for hire, but I have a feeling we're going to see a lot more of his like artistic vision without the idea of like this needs to be this needs to sell for Sony. Like I think he's going to be a little more unrestrained, and I want to. Well, see his that's name like. sells at this point. So. Yeah, yeah, it's true. He kind of gets to be a little unchained as long as he has a deadline and a budget. He, I mm-hmm. like go crazy. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Well, this has been an extra super long episode. I hope anybody made it to the end. Uh, oh, wait. I, For those that did make it to the end, I just want to tell you that um, my Dodicorous Rodney, or not Rodney, that's my old T-Rex, <laughs> my Dodicorous Pony Boy, uh, since we last talked, has uh, he has successfully survived uh, a raid on my base by a T-Rex and then the next day he successfully killed a T-Rex that was raiding my <laughs> base. Yeah, Ponyboy is fucking incredible. He is uh, indestructible and also I've tamed a beaver named Greg and he knocks down trees and gets me a ton of wood. Oh my god. Can I, as an aside there, can I ask you um since I haven't played it much besides dinosaurs. And I guess you have a beaver. I was going to ask, are there like mammals? Like, can I find like a saber tooth tiger or a wolf or anything like that? around? Uh, yes. They actually find you and they kill you. <laughs> can you tame uh, them? Yeah. You can cool. Tame so them I could ride saber tooth tigers. Cool. That's great. Um, That's just a, it's a thing I'd like to know. Yeah, Along it's, with it's uh, starting with MGS three and collecting camo. I also absolutely love pets in games and, uh, Oh, that's what I'll say. My final final nod to Metal Gear is that D Dog is probably my favorite companion in any game. Ever. I love D Dog. He is great, very great. All right, uh, find us at the usual places: Facebook, Twitter, dot com slash website. That Sam likes to say. Uh, I would say that that doesn't make sense, Keith. <laughs> um, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes and Podbean. If you made it this far, I don't know who might who am I even talking to at this point. Nobody uh, has only me. I might love... be the only person that would listen to this, and I won't. But I might have been. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, the other thing: if you're a random Metal Gear fan and you you're gonna stop listening in the first twenty minutes, and we're not talking about Metal Gear, mm-hmm. and no, then no. like that, yeah, there's there is absolutely no one listening. All this did was make me tired at work tomorrow. So thanks a lot, Keith. <laughs>